welcome to Looking for the Ocean, where we watch everything Pixar ever made. That's features, short films, tech demos, and more. I'm Danny Vincent, and as always, I'm joined by Mark Young, and with us today is Gene. Hello. Gene, I, I think your name is easily the easiest to make a Wally sound out of. Oh, yeah, dude. Because you didn't give their last name. That's true. <laughs> you got me. Um, Gene Arnold. Look at the doc. What's uh, in the doc? I don't know. The Excel sheet has all the names and everything. Hey, Gene. How's it going? I know Gene's last name. I just wanted to do <laughs> I just wanted to do so a Wally voice. Get off my I'm back. I'm so sorry. I feel like that laugh was okay. going to spike. I'm so sorry. <laughs> It's okay. Um, I, my, my I, I, I wanted to. I wanted to say real quick. Um, when Wally was coming out, that was my bit going up to it. Was I don't know how many times I was the kid in class that was the best at saying Wally. Wally. Ooh, that was pretty good. Um, that is very good. And uh, like I held on to that mantle for like <laughs> however many mm. months before it was. Should, should we all try to do our Wally voices? I don't think I'll be as good as Gene. Yeah, sure. Let's all get shamed. Uh, all right. Wally. I think mine's very low. But Wally. I, I didn't do that. <laughs> so Gene, yes. aside from your Mom. very special skill, what's what's there to know about you? Uh well, Who are you? Well, um <laughs> like like a lot of um artists out in Los Angeles. I am a freelance filmmaker. Right now I'm trying to get into post-production, which is a little tougher, but if anything has been taught to me about last year um, with a movie like um, the one that just won Best Picture, Everything Everywhere All at Once, the fact that their visual effects team never went to film school, and they created that whole movie. It was basically five, six people, and it just shows me like all that matters is you have the drive at the end of the day that's that's sort of where i'm at um, yeah you're good you know <laughs> yeah. we we had a guest on um for ratatouille who also well didn't all because we all went to film school but he had he didn't go to film school and he's already made a feature film so yeah 100 percent like also i'll be honest about siu I, I love it it was a great time there are definitely some gaps in our education there film school you didn't need it you don't need it if you want to do it like that's the thing is that's the beautiful thing about youtube and the internet in particular is that it's given like a lot of different like younger filmmakers and tiktok too in a lot of ways has given like a lot of younger generations like the ability to create without needing to pay thousands of dollars to basically learn shit you can learn on the internet i can't wait for a tiktok so episode so Gene, yes. what are your Wally credentials? Because I know that Danny sends out lists to people when he wants them to come on and they have some choices to make. What made you choose Wally? I it's so weird. Like I love most of them. There's a few that, you know, I don't really like to talk about. Um, <laughs> in particular the Cars Three Cup. I mean, listen, Cars <laughs> Two <sighs> I just really hate that they wasted Michael Caine, but that's 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 a whole other topic for another day. Um <laughs> I, my top three in particular, in no specific order, is usually Toy Story 2, Coco, and Wally. They all have a very special place in my heart and everything. But I love Wally so much because he's a hopeless romantic, like me, in a lot of ways. And I just rewatched the movie today, so this is very fresh in my mind. But like, 
there's it's such a big metaphor for like how i deal with life in general there's just so much shit around you and you just have to deal with that shit i've seen wally at least nine or ten times i think it's so delicately made and the fact that it's only an hour and 36 minutes with so much going on is incredible to me i checked just because i love checking this with movies it hits that credits although you gotta watch the credits of this movie i was saying that last week yes. you gotta watch the credits of this yes movie. but it hits those credits at pretty much exactly the 90 minute mark maybe like 90 minutes 10 seconds yeah. you know yeah. like but yeah but yeah that's that's what the disney plus <laughs> thinks oh, yeah, so I, the hour. <laughs> well i i, I didn't watch this on disney plus i'll say what i watched this on when we we get more to our main discussion but Fair. uh how did you first encounter pixar growing up um well i am very lucky that my mother loved cinema i remember seeing a bug's life in theaters it's one of my first theatrical movie going experiences yeah. uh i love toy story dude if you went to my childhood home i have a whole box full of like just toy story toys and like monsters inc toys and like i think from monsters inc all the way to cars 2 i had seen every pixar movie in theaters usually opening day if not opening weekend because that's how much i love pixar it like moved me and like there is something about it there's just a lot of genuine like thought and creativity put into these films and it's a big reason why i wanted to become a filmmaker if i'm being really honest like just the way they told stories just like i mean i don't want to be basic and just talk about how they you know it's a lot of human elements in these films like ba- a lot of like you know connective tissue to the human struggle yeah. if you will but uh yeah like growing up it was wallace and gromit toy story and some i think there was another claymation show i watched i forget chicken but, run? But those chicken, chicken, run, yes, around chicken run, time, yeah. I, I did love yeah. chicken run too that was a great yeah. one. Oh, and shrek and of course shrek shrek was my nanny for many many years he's a bit of a scary yeah. nanny He's like, got my soul. He taught he, he taught me how to live in the real world. <laughs> if I'm being honest, like Shrek is important to kids. Like he teaches you that the world is cruel, and you can only find people you love and trust, and that's it. I want to ask uh, because of what you said there. I want to ask a question that we don't ask a lot of guests. But do you remember some of your earliest live action movies that were important to you? Um, well, um, Hope Firehouse Dog is one of them. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's, I don't know. It's important, but in many of the wrong ways. But, uh, The Phantom Menace was the very first movie, live action movie I saw in theaters. And, um, God, I think I remember specifically the only things I remember from that movie's going experience was the pod, the pod racing and then when Anakin was in outer space. All I really remember was a little kid because I was like, hey, that energy reminds me of me as a four-year-old well well gene mm-hmm. we got to ask you this question that you're talking about phantom menace because we got to see if we got to cancel you or not was uh what was your childhood take on Jar Jar Binks? um well <laughs> that's we're not gonna cancel you for I mean, let, listen listen here, here listen well, we won't cancel you but here. we'll post this and let the people decide here, listen here's 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 my here's my thing on jar jar all right i feel really bad for the actor who played jar jar i need to yeah. fully disclose that like i think he got a really bad rap because ultimately a lot of the blame should have gone to george lucas because he was the main writer on that film and he put that character in all those positions 
Yes. Um, well, you know what? Well, we, 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 are you going to double back, Mark? Or should well, I double back? I can double back. I want to ask um, about Pixar. Is have you? How do you think about the like when you think of the Pixar studio? What do you think of? Okay. How do you feel about it? A couple, a couple things. Um, as a kid, when I thought about it, I thought I'm about to be wowed. As an adult, when I see that logo, I think, ah. I can't wait to watch the credits and see all the babies that were born during production. <laughs> That's like my favorite thing now as a, an adult watching all these Pixar movies. Because like, I don't know if you guys have ever heard the, what happened on Toy Story 2. Um, which, by they, the way... Well, they deleted the movie? I'm yeah, assuming you're going at, yeah. yeah, exactly. And like that alone could be its own movie. Like If they ever wanted to do a movie about Pixar, I feel like that's the most interesting story, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well... Funny thing, you mentioned that we did an episode on the Pixar story, which is a documentary sanctioned by oh, Pixar. Right. Oh <laughs> it's a puff piece that advertises about how great they are. But no, when I think Pixar, I think I'm ready to be usually wowed. The other thing I miss is the short films that we used to get during Pixar movies, like right before the movie started. I think they stopped mm-hmm. recently. Well, that was in the news this week because the new Pixar movie is going to have a short in front of it. Oh, hallelujah. It is, um, it's Carl's Date, which is being marketed as the end of the Upiverse. I, sorry, Mark, I stole your thing. You texted me the Upiverse. <laughs> oh, I, I forgot about that. I thought you were just coming up with that now. No, it, I just saw it, like, you know, the discussing film Twitter. It, it goes, like, Carl's Date is designed to be the end of stories in the up cinematic universe. And it's like, that's so dumb. <laughs> there are just a couple of short films. It's not an up, it's not a cinematic universe. It's just, it's, all the, it's just like their way of saying Ed Asner died and we want to be respectful. Cause yeah. that's ultimately why they have to end the up universe, which first of all, that's, I mean, you could, you could, you could Doug is right there. Doug is right there. You can kill the you can kill Carl off off screen and do do a movie about Russell and Doug. <laughs> Russell all grown up and trying to find love. There you go. Well, I was gonna up, say up I too. saw some. I saw the thing with the, the because the premise of Carl's date is is that Carl is going on his first date since Ellie died. Okay. Yeah. And I saw this tweet that went very viral, which was like a quote tweet of the announcement and going. Pixar has the opportunity to do the funniest fucking shit ever with this short. You guys don't even understand. Oh, for real. And I'm just like, there are so many options we want to go funny. What do you guys think would be the funniest option for Carl's date? I don't remember uh, Up that well. There are no, there are like, aren't there like no women in that movie? I mean, there's, there's a dead there's, wife. There's Ellie. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what my, well, my, my, you're right you what though. My, there's not I'll, many women though. Well, let me tell you what my funniest answer is, is that goes on a date, we don't know who the date is, and then the camera pans over, and it's Russell's mom. <laughs> that would be oh, the most well, messed that, up funny thing. That is a, that is a good one, yeah. <laughs> that would be great. I saw another um, funny tweet today, because Twitter's dying this week, I'm sure you guys all heard. Um, again? Dying every week. I know. <laughs> but um, I saw this tweet where it was like, this is the best joke the MCU has ever done. I'm like, alright, let's see. I click it. And it's like the zoom in on Jake Gyllenhaal in the background in Spider-Man no, uh, Far From Home. It's like, he's like, it was me the whole time. I'm like, all right, oh, yeah, that's, that's a good one. Oh that's, <laughs> that's that's not even true because that's... truly the best joke. It's funny because it's from that film. I think the best joke they've ever done is the opening of Far From Home. Well, you don't like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, so that's why. 
Well, I hate them, so yeah. Wait, no, the funniest moment, I think the funniest moment in the entire MCU, like, I hate to be like, this is factually true, but right. I do think this is factually true. It's in Avengers 1, when Hulk smashes Loki. Yeah, that is pretty I funny. suppose I mean, that has to be it's it. It's definitely the like... most memorable, crowd-pleasing, funny moment. I yeah. would say that, because I remember seeing it in theaters. I've, I don't think I've seen, like at least in a Marvel movie, anybody laugh that hard. I think the funniest joke in a Marvel movie is in uh, Ragnarok, where they play... Ragnarok has a lot of great jokes. Where Sorry, they have, well, where <laughs> they have, like, the... They, they play dead. So he throws Loki, and he's like, oh my god, he's dead! He just throws Loki! I thought you were going to say... That was the funniest joke. When you mentioned dead Loki, I thought you were going to be like, I think the funniest joke in the MCU is the thing that I was in. That's right. That's right. Aren't you still in the 8 on that? Um, That bitch expired a while ago, I think. Dude, that was like 2017, I think. No. Yeah, probably. No, it came out in 18. It came out in 18, but I filmed in January of that year. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's why I was like really surprised. I was like, wait. Yeah, I remember you said you thought it was for four at the time. I remember you saying it. Yeah, that's what I thought too, originally. And I thought I was actually going to be fitted for another outfit. But then they're like, nope. We already got you for this one. Why would we get you for a new one? We'll just find somebody else. And I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) So that's cool. It's a cool little story. Hey, you know, I, I got to meet uh, Chris Hemsworth. He's a real cool dude. Dude, he is tall. That is my thing. Like, he is tall as shit. He's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, I think. He's a I, I gotta say, everybody. Go ahead. Gene, you just led me into something that I needed to say the last episode. A while back on this show, I said something about an actor who's currently in the news for very, very bad reasons. And I said, I went to a question oh, answer. Oh, Jesus uh, Christ. Like, I thought we John, would avoid this. No, no. I'm just saying it. We can move right on right after I say um, it. I went to a question answer with Jonathan Majors. I came on this podcast right after. I said to Mark, this guy is so nice. He's so cool. He's the nicest guy I've ever met. Mark was like, Danny, I don't think you should be saying these things about celebrities that you don't actually know. And I said, well, he seems so great. And right now he's in the news for reasons that we don't need to get into. I'm sure everyone listening has seen it. But I just want to apologize and say, Mark, you're right. I shouldn't go to a promotional event with celebrities and be like, wow, they were nice. Because that's fucking stupid. And you call you, yeah. you called it. And it's not a congrats. You told me so. It's a fuck. I shouldn't have been like, shut up, Mark, back then. So Well, I don't, I I don't remember calling you out on it. So yeah. it's, I well, have no stake in this. I got to ask one last thing to double back a bit on the Pixar questions. Then we can go to introduce Wally. I'm, I always ask this question, and I usually ask it a little earlier, but I, I, I'm always curious, because unless you're like me, who has always fucking seen every Pixar movie, every, like, as soon as they they can, I think everyone gets off the Pixar train for a bit, and then maybe finds their way back on. Do you think that ever happened for you? And if so, when? What what movie do you think was like, all right, I'm, um, I'm off for now? I feel cliched saying it. It was Cars 2. Cars 2 <laughs> pissed me the fuck off. I was so <laughs> upset. I was so mad. I was so betrayed. Because Toy Story 3, like, you go from Toy Story 3 to Cars 2. It's just a it's such a huge drop-off. And then... It really is. And, like, <laughs> Danny, I know you like Cars 2. I, and I don't want to rip it. Because, like, I know you like Cars 2. Um, but 
I like me, Cars too, but it's still like bottom seven Pixar. So like, <laughs> like, like for me, for me, it's like Cars two, Brave. It's got a lot of potential, but man, it's just I really don't know why they chose that storyline after the magic spell. It just sort of became yeah. a weird. Like, why did they remake Brother Bear? Mother Bear. <laughs> <laughs> they should have just called it that then it would have i don't know i would have been fine with it like they should have made it about her turning into a horse and that could be mother mare there we go disney give me a 600 million dollars mark ask your question ah um have you seen turning red i have i saw it opening i saw it when it uh aired on disney plus and i can't wait to watch it again I love that movie so much. I actually bought it on Blu-ray. That's how much I loved it. Did you watch it nice. when Danny came into town and get the theatrical experience, or did you yeah. just watch it on online? I, I I watched it online. I as much as I wanted to see it in theaters, I was sort of like, well, my partner really wanted to watch it, so I was sort of like, all right, well, I'm gonna I watch also it now. If you're like pointing out, also the thing about turning red in theaters when I visited, um is unless you you know you're like me and you see like a movie in theaters like two or three a week i think it was pretty hard to justify seeing that one in theaters when the batman came out like a couple days prior <laughs> you know what i mean oh, yeah. i feel like the batman was a bigger priority for most people because I, I think you had seen i think that was literally what you told me it was like i just saw the batman and i can't really do another movie right now which is very valid so so danny we are all here to talk about wally this is an incredible wow. film, and could you give us a little bit of the background about it? All right, Wally. This is the time where I would do the groundbreaker bit, but I feel like, and this might be tipping my hand on my take too much before I get into the actual backstory. Wally is such a singular film in this studio to me that it feels calling it a groundbreaker feels a little unfair because to me it is it's its own. Talking about it as a Pixar movie feels weird because it feels like its own movie with the exception of a couple things. It's just completely different. Even as someone, you know, we did an entire episode on Ratatouille and how much we love Ratatouille. Wally to me feels so much like a singular experience that it is hard to quantify how it stands within Pixar. That said, I'm going to try. <laughs> Wally, Andrew Stanton's follow up to Finding Nemo. I've talked about the teaser trailer on this podcast before. We're going to do it again. Wally's marketing begins in front of Ratatouille, where unlike every other Pixar movie that gets a teaser trailer that's a gag short, this trailer is introduced by John Lasseter, Andrew Stanton, and Pete Docter, all in black and white, saying, we worked on this, we had a lunch in like 1993 or 4, where we came up with a bunch of ideas for movies, we've gone through them all except for this one. Get ready, guys, next summer, and it's just a clip of Wally making some trash, and it's like, okay, interesting. Wally is hard sci-fi. Wally is, I would say Wally thematically is the most, the, and Gene, you might disagree, because I know you're not as big on this movie as I am. I think you're closer to Mark. I think the closest movie Wally is thematically to anything we've covered on this podcast is Avatar The Way of Water. Just because of how hard sci-fi it gets and how, not necessarily emotional. Emotional, it's more in common of other Pixar movies, definitely. But, and how heady it gets. But, anyway. The ninth movie made at Pixar comes out of June, in June. It's Andrew Stanton's follow-up to Finding Nemo. 
<laughs> it's just really... I, it's a movie that's hard to talk about again. But I think it's more interesting to talk about... Let's talk about how it did. Because talking about how it's made, it might come up naturally during this. But I would say Wally. This is what I always talk about with Wally. I was talking to a coworker actually today about this movie. Okay, Wally. One of its biggest lasting impacts is that Wally and The Dark Knight are the two main reasons that the Oscars have not had five Best Picture nominees since 2008. Because there was so much uproar over both Wally and The Dark Knight not getting into a Best Picture lineup that. It is credited as the main... It's the main reason Up got a nomination the following year, I believe, personally. Even though Up did have a very positive contemporaneous response. But I think now people are kind of like, it's good. Um, maybe, maybe Mark disagrees. But we'll, we'll find out people disagree. Yeah, I won't really know until we watch Up. Because I don't remember yeah. loving it. But then I, I watch Wally, remembering not loving it. And I loved it. Okay, Wally makes so much money. <laughs> It makes five hundred million dollars worldwide, make which makes a feels weird on paper. But then you realize this story translates so easily because there's not a lot of dialogue for the first half of it, and the back half of it, it's very archetypical in a good sense. It obviously wins best animated feature. It only it, it loses all of its other nominations at the Oscars, which is insane to me. Because as much as I like The Dark Knight, did it need both sound awards when Wally exists as a sound movie? I disagree. A correction here. Danny wanted me to mention that The Dark Knight did not win both sound awards. Slumdog Millionaire won Best Sound Mixing. The Dark Knight won Best Sound Editing. And then Danny thinks that he remembered The Dark Knight won two awards, but the second award The Dark Knight won was the acting award for Heath Ledger. So there. It's considered one of the greatest anime movies ever made. It was top... Times list as the best movies of the decade in 2011, or 2010, whenever they did it. In 2016, it was voted the 29th best film of the 21st century, I believe in the the BBC poll. It is the second Pixar movie, and so far the only Pixar movie besides Toy Story, to be in the Library of Congress. It is the only Pixar movie to be in the Criterion Collection. Oh my gosh, he's got it in front of us. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. This is how I watched it. I, I, there was a Criterion flash sale. I picked I it up because I'm like, it'll be good for, it'll be good for the bit to have it. But also, like, I, I lost my copy a long time back of Wally. So it's like, uh, I can upgrade. Can you hold it up again? Yeah. It is a groundbreaking movie for so many reasons that in a way, I do think talking about something in the context of a Pixar movie is doing it a disservice, which is saying so fucking much, considering how Pixar is so influential. This is a singular... I was talking to someone at work today about it, too, and I was like... Well, I'll get to my points I was making later on when we're main discussion, but I made a joke about robots, like, you know, the Blue Sky movie. And oh, my friend was like, movie. like... Well, Michael... I haven't seen that since I was shot, so I have no actual <laughs> opinion on it. Um, but I was like, <laughs> robots, even if it is good or bad, cause I, have no, I have no real opinion on it, but... It, robots might be a good kids movie. It might be a good anime movie, but Wally is like one of the great movies that you cannot really even compare the two. Yeah, it's amazing that this is Andrew oh. Stanton both times. I thought this was a Pete Doctor film until I realized I was just incorrect about that. Um, oh, I, I know he did the story. This is Andrew movie, and I'll get into it. Why? But go on. Sorry, what are you going to say, Mark? Yeah. Well, I mean, upon watching it, I'm like, okay, I get why this is an Andrew Stanton movie, but uh, man. Two 
two bangers. These might be, at the end of our run, my number one and number two, because I think we're about to hit the part where I'm, I feel a little more middling about the mainline Pixar movies, but... <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, the way you said that to me, like, Mark's going to go for, to bat for Planes 2. <laughs> well, yes, except, for, of course, for Planes 2. I definitely have not always felt this way. I feel like I've seen Wally maybe, like, once before, and I don't really remember when. I think it was on DVD or something like that. But I remember not liking Wally because I thought it was so dark. And now I watched it. That's good. That's um, an asset. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, sorry. Well, <laughs> it's we we can get into that later. But watching it today, I was like, it is like you said. It's like you forget you're watching a Pixar movie, and even when it kind of becomes a Pixar movie in the last half, there are still moments like when they're flying in space or something. You kind of forget you're on the Pixar train you know it would be it's really hard to imagine cars lingering on shots of the like desert as much as this and even though it does as much as wally seems to really like stop it feels that way even though that's you know if you were to analyze it that's not what's happening but yeah just an incredible film unlike any we've seen before on this podcast, except maybe Avatar 2, The Way of Water, the other hard <laughs> sci-fi. I'm sorry about that, because I actually agree with that take, but it's it just, that just sets something off in me. It's weird, you know, you, if you know anything about, like, sci-fi awards, the, like the Hugo and the Nebula Awards and stuff like that. So these are literary awards, and they are given out each year to sci-fi products. And, you know, they've done like books for a long time dune was the first book that won both hugo and the nebula awards and i'm mentioning both of these because if you look at which books have won like both of those awards through the years they're usually like the touchstone sci-fi classics but every year they i think maybe it's the hugo awards whichever one has the film category but the film category for best sci-fi movie basically goes out to the sci-fi movie that came out that year. And they are vastly inferior to books tackling the same topic. So I don't want to hate on sci-fi things, but I was just like, yes, Avatar 2 is great. I think Avatar 2 is great because it was close to what we like about like hard sci-fi literature and then it took those ideas and let Stephen Lang play around with them. And that, that's why Avatar 2 is, is something special on its own. But that's, sorry, that's kind will, of a tangent. About, I will like, ask you your take, not on Avatar 2, unless you really want to give it. But on Wally. Can I? Oh, wait, go ahead. Go ahead. Can, I want to wrap up one last part of our intro because I did forget to me something that is kind of groundbreaking in the whole landscape of cinema and animation with this movie. And there's other stuff, too. This is the most expensive animated movie of all time up to that point. It cost $180 million. That's not what I'm going to say. Although, I did say it, but that's not what I meant. You know what I mean. Um, this is Roger Deakins, legendary cinematographer, first entry in visual consultancy for animation. He did it two other times. I want to pop quiz you guys. Can you remember the other two times? This is the only Pixar movie. The other two aren't Pixar movies. Can I remember, or is it that I will have to guess? Because I don't think I actually know. I think you'd have to guess. I will say... That these are all, like, 
he did them all in pretty rapid succession. So these are all around Wally's release. I think the latest one is four or five years later than Wally. Um, but there's two of them. Was Rango one of them? Yeah, Rango's the latest one. Yeah, I don't know if I'll it, get this. Nothing's popping into my brain, but I know where you're going with this. I just cannot think of another animated film that had that look. I'm going to guess How to Train Your Dragon. Yep, that's it. You got them both. Oh, yeah, wow. both of them. Wow. Both of them were consulted by Deacons, which I think shows in both films, and in this too, because this is that's another thing too. Is like you watch this, you can tell they contacted a cinematographer to give some ideas here. It is absolute because I was thinking because we watched Ratatouille recently, and it has yeah. the same like wide scope of a Pixar movie, and it's not that Ratatouille has bad cinematography. It frequently looks quite good. But it's not like Wally, where it's like this giant sweeping vista that like is yeah. mind blowing. I mean, they're two uh, different movies in yeah. a lot of ways. Like especially the first thirty minutes of Wally, which essentially plays like a a silent film for the most part because there's no dialogue, if any, at all, uh, other than you know Wally's little creaks and sounds and whatnot. Actually, I don't know about thirty minutes. Maybe more like twenty first twenty. No, actually, minutes. I think you are. It's, I think Was it, I is it thirty? I checked when he was on holding on the spaceship. I think it was at 33 minutes. Okay. So okay. that's when I think he was hanging off that ship and by Saturn. Because um, that's the thing about like having rewatched it. Like I'm thinking about all those like giant like shots of like the trash buildings and everything and just the earth and, and whatnot. And, you know, obviously Ratatouille is it's weird because it's it's not really like um, I don't want to say it's not world building, but Wally's doing way more world building. Like when it first starts out and everything, like the minute you get to it. Whereas uh, Ratatouille's more character driven, in my opinion, um, versus Wally. Wally's fantastic. I mean, I also love the fact that it's clearly inspired by 2001, A Space Odyssey, and they don't make it op- very obvious until like the last 20 minutes. Like when they started playing that song and the music and the movie, I was like, God damn it. <laughs> He's doing his best. Yeah, I, 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 we can talk about the third act here eventually, but I don't necessarily want to, because that's where I'm most. Sure. The, the big set piece, not obviously the actual ending of the movie on Earth, but like the big set piece is probably where I'm the most negative towards the movie, but even then I'm kind of like. Yeah. It's basically during that sequence when it focuses on Eve, on Wa- Eve and Wally, I still really, like, I'm like, this is fantastic still. Mm-hmm. But um, a movie it really reminded me of too was uh, Brazil. I don't know if you guys have the, seen Brazil. The first trailer for know, this movie was set. to I know to the Brazil. first trailer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I knew it was yeah. set to that yeah. and I'm everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's like um, I had never seen Brazil before. I think I saw it like three or three years ago. I think I saw it in 2020. And having seen that and now rewatched Wally, I'm just like, oh my gosh. Um, Brazil is like a that. real blind spot for me. I need to watch. Yeah. Brazil. Have you seen Brazil, Mark? Yeah, it's. I mean, okay. it's been a very long time, and I, I don't always connect with Terry Gilliam films. I feel like I liked it, but I mean, I don't know. It's probably like Wally, something that I watched a long time ago, and then would rewatch and appreciate it much more. Yeah, for me, like the thing I love so much about how Wally starts, especially the way he treats. The little cockroach and everything just his kindness like there's such a dark like you said just a dark horrible world and he's literally piling trash into himself and creating trash boxes and whatnot and he's just like the most optimistic like little guy and like it's so refreshing and what i find ways. so interesting about wally as a movie and this is a this is the reason i'm bringing this up first it's because this is the last time i will compare it to avatar 2 I promise. 
I don't mind if I you do. That just awoke well, something in me. In a way, no, no. I'm going to repeat the point we made about Avatar 2 on this podcast and then relate it to Wally is that I think Mark and I agree that one of the coolest parts, if not the coolest part of Avatar 2, is the stuff of Korich where it's like he is a clone who insists, like, I'm not actually related to you, I'm a clone of you. And it like gets into all this like existential questions about being a clone, like realistically. This this came to my mind when I was watching Wally, because what I find so great about this movie, and I also think about this mark when you mentioned cars, and it's like it's not like cars, it's not like a bug's life. These aren't robots doing human things. These are robots. This movie never breaks the reality that Wally Wally is the way he is because he has been seven hundred years alone, so he's probably a little glitchy in programming, but that's okay, because that's what his personality comes from. Eve, I, the way I view this movie is the way these robots change and interact are because they are programmed to interact this way with humans, so humans aren't repulsed by them. Mm-hmm. I don't think the movie sure. ever breaks from that idea, even though it's never outright said. These are 100% robots. These are never human, like, these are not anthropomorphized at all. They are definitely robots that are trying to compute what what is romance from watching this movie what does it mean to be with someone yeah. what does like and that uh, Otto being and that's why Otto and Wally are so interesting because you know at the end Wally reboots and we see what he was like originally and then we see that also the fo- like the video of the, the previous Wally's because well, Otto is an old system too and Otto and Wally are very when Wally isn't glitching you know when Wally isn't the Wally we know and love they are rigid robots like how we expect automation to be. And it's only the more recent robots that are seen in the movie that are programmed to interact with humans. I think this movie is such a brilliant work of sci-fi and because Wally and Eve are very human characters, but they're also never not robots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what makes this movie so powerful and emotional that we get to see them come together because the future of humanity is in something that we created. Like that—that that is like the core of like this film in a way. Talking about thematically to me. Yeah, I think that is the most exciting part of the film for me is when Wally changes back to his original programming. Like it—it doesn't devastating. last very long. It's so devastating. But they—I mean—they wisely. Not I mean wisely. They can do whatever they want. But it's like, it's funny after the climax, which you said is like so goofy, and you're like, all right. Pixar, you can have this as the high point of your movie. Let's just go back to Earth and then end the movie. But then they don't, and then it's like, all right, here's this thing. That's ah, uh, that was so good. Because at the very end, it reminds you these were robots who cared about this entire fucking yeah. movie. Get over mm-hmm. it. And it's like, no, but it's like, oh, I already said it because I was like my big thought while watching, and I was so proud of it. But it's like this is about this is a it's not a creation myth, but it is about how we created something that. A, first ruined us but then eventually came to save us and it's oh wally is jesus basically robot jesus but because I, I, I that's that's a little too um what's the word for it on the nose i, I don't what too on the nose is that not the even on the nose um i think it's too i'm making it too simple because to say wally is a christ figure is silly because what makes him cool is that he's not he yeah. is a very flawed robot. Yeah. He's a bit clingy, but why wouldn't you be after 700 years alone? Yeah, he was essentially, but, he's essentially the last of them, too. So, like, yeah. it's not like he was chosen. Like, he's yeah. just, like, a survivor. But, yeah, no, you're absolutely on it with the whole, especially when he gets reset and everything. As a viewer, you know, 
me, I, when I was crying in that moment and I was like, God damn it, come back, damn it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also realized that that's the point is that these robots are robots. These are not, yes, yes, Wally wants to hold her hand, but that's not because he's a human or a human character, if you will. It's because that's what he thinks will get the romance connected. Like, cause he's like, you said, he's trying to understand romance and he's been alone for 700 years. Uh, or I don't, I don't know if he was alone. That was an entire 700 probably years. 600, probably 600. Cause like you oh, yeah. see those old dead bodies or, or those worn out robots, um, you know, where he takes those, those treads from at one point in the movie. Um, so it's clear, like, I love that the movie opens with that. Yeah. And basically, mm-hmm. like, stealing from a corpse. Because, like, you know, in most animated movies, like, these robots would just be, like, characters. And in a sense, and that's when it's like, our main character is stealing a corpse of something from the corpse of his brother to survive, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I love just, like, the, the waking up scene where he has to recharge his batteries and everything. It's, I know it's very. Get the little Mac. Yeah. Sound. <laughs> <laughs> the little Mac sound, that's right. <laughs> Which also I love because, you know, Shout out Steve Jobs, founded Pixar, if I'm not mistaken. It has to be yeah. an ode to that, I would imagine, right? Mm-hmm. Well, also, um, yeah. Otto is voiced by the Mac and Talk um, That's right. program they had <laughs> at the time, <laughs> which is a good good idea, honestly. It, it works really well. Yeah. yeah. Gene, you're so right about that, that he only wants to hold her hand because of that is how he has been taught to show affection. Yeah. I think that's... It's very smart of the movie. So not o- not only are we always clear about what he is doing when he's you know wanting to hold her hand, we we can also see it as, you know, Danny like you said him being flawed. It's all justified and part of the experience of them being robots. Well, I was going to say about Wally is also the thing that to me is really key is like <laughs> imagine if we came on this podcast and our entire talking point was like is Wally an intel? But like obviously that's not what we're going to talk about cuz Wally is a robot. And what I think is fascinating about that also is like yeah. Maybe it fits into some 2000s romance tropes, but to yeah. me that moment where Eve realizes how much Wally loves her and is like she's like you know um the captain's looking at her memory logs or whatever yeah. and she sees that Wally was waiting with her the entire time the whole umbrella it's sequence not, and everything it's, well it's not it's not that like for a human to be like that's weird that he like cared so much about me and he barely know me but the fact is for a robot it's like what even is the idea of caring for someone besides your directive like what why would you even think to care like what is caring for someone else like that is not something Eve's been introduced to. And so in that sequence where she sees that, it's like, that's where I got emotional this time. Because I never really made that connection. Because that's really where my, my whole mind this entire watch was like, damn, these are robots. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I don't think it's very tropey. I, I mean, tropey in like the bad way. I'm, I know you're comparing this to films that do that in, I think we'd all agree, like the wrong way or whatever. But no, sure. I don't think that it is unmotivated that she falls in love with him after he cares for her you know in all that way and then she also doesn't realize it until she looks through the security footage it's just another very well written moment in those sequences when wally's taking care of her you know there's like like i i literally had to ask myself like man like is this i'm not trying to frame this as creepy but like you know what i mean but like that's instinctual like i don't think like he's like because like most of the time those characters they're out for sex usually and that's all they care about and wally is clearly a robot he does not care about those human 
uh, experiences and whatnot. All he cares about is like this new person has come and he showed her this plant that he was so like happy to find. I mean, I remember when he found that he was just like so joyed and then being like, oh, oh no, I broke her and thinking like he, he has to fix it and everything, which is ultimately what he does. What I think is really also important about Wally, even though all this applies to the romance, is that it is, it's beyond the romance too. Sure. Because there's a moment in this movie that really stood out to me also on this watch, which is the introduction of Mary, where Wally, like, gets her off her computer or whatever, um, and, like, just taps, like, Eva, like, she, he needs to get by. And that is bizarre to her for a lot of reasons. One, her TV got off. But I just thought, like, all these robots in this movie, unless they're, like, glitching in that glitchy area where we don't really see those glitching robots interact with humans stay exactly where they are in their lane to their programming. So even if she, like, you know, well, she doesn't know a Wally. She doesn't know she's, he's a trash compactor robot. But normally, you know, any robot in this world would just wait and stop until she moves to get to where he needs to go. So the idea of meeting a robot that is impatient, like, is like, huh, to her too. And it's like meeting, it's, that's the whole thing too with the human stuff, which I know people are mixed on. We can get into it down the road. Uh, but Mark, I know you had something you wanted to mention um, about the Macintosh. I think it is about learning to care and how since there is a robot cares about someone and cares about each other and he meets all these new people either of her robots or of humans and it's like he still only cares about Eve. Yeah. And that in and of itself is so powerful but also like to the other people there who don't care about each other either that's powerful too. It's like what do you mean that this robot cares? What do you mean that somebody cares? It doesn't even matter that it's a robot that it's somebody. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> but Mark, what well, Mark, you... what are you going to say about Macintosh? <laughs> oh, well, not even about Macintosh. I was thinking about watching it now. The part of the appeal of Wally comes from how of its time it is. So I think we accept some of the sci-fi extrapolations a little easier because of the world that Wally lives in is you know 700 years in the future, but it is definitely rooted in 2008. Like he's got an iPod Nano, and the corporation a VHS tape, hmm? a VHS tape, <laughs> yeah, and a VHS tape, yeah. and the corporation is modeled after uh, Walmart and not Amazon. Right. It is like it's such this it's this view of the world that you can go back and understand pretty well, so you understand the concepts moving forward you know they wouldn't they could have or couldn't have predicted that everything would be done online now but i think that we're still thinking about what the impacts of those things are and what that would look like versus if you go back to 2008 you're like all right walmart is evil and there's trash everywhere where now i don't think you know we think like that we th we think like there's this Un, kind of unknowable vague evil out in the world that is like pervasive and strange and no one knows where garbage goes at all i definitely think this was made today well you know i'm gonna refer to an essay by a professor that i think all three of us had maybe not all of us three had he had this oh, he, he had all these whack opinions you know <laughs> but i remember his uh his whack opinion on wally was one of his was i love the ending of this movie because all the humans die out during the credits. Because the last thing you see is just Wally and Eve staring at a tree. And now robots have inherited the earth because they're the real humans. 
And what? I don't think this movie is saying that at all. I don't get how you read that. Doesn't the Whatever. movie say like go out of its way to say the opposite? Yeah, <sighs> I would I would agree, but we had a, anyway. Um, but what I was gonna say about Wally is I think that if it was made today, that is how it would end. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I don't think, I think we would say humans are a lost cause, but maybe these robots can be our saving grace, yeah. and they could be our legacy, and they are just the next stage of human evolution, rather than being people who help us find ourselves again. Yeah. But I think if it was made today, it would have that more nihilistic view, inherently, where it's like, Wally inherits the Earth, you know? Yeah. I also, f- I feel like it wouldn't have, um, I just feel like it wouldn't have been a, as good of a movie also if it had come out today versus when it did. In, in many ways i just feel like you're right they would shape a lot of different things based on the way our world is basically i was gonna say it also place. reminds me of two years prior release children of men oh, two movies that, that to me that are i don't know mark's opinion on children i'm really worried i'm not like getting into one of those things where mark hates something that i like a lot <laughs> um, <laughs> well surprise Anyway, <laughs> go on. Anyway, but my point is, Children of Men, I, I saw it for the first time literally a, the weekend before the election 2020, because uh, they were showing it at the Music Box with V for Vendetta, which was a very funny, like, double feature of, like, 2000, or, like, 2005, 2006, haha, look at the world we're in now type of movies, but I think, to me, I, Mark, we don't need to get into why you dislike Children of Men, but... I think they these both these movies are to me Wally and Children are both five out of five movies, and I think they both are movies that are rooted in the time they came out, and yet to me they still because of how rooted they are in the time they came out, they still feel remarkably like both prescient and with a such a all encompassing worldview of what that movie like what you know what I mean like such a well thought out sci fi world for both of them that I would program the two of them like as a double feature. Honestly, like, you know, like these are these are movies that complement each other. Wally's the more optimistic one. Children of Men is the sadder one that still is optimistic. Yeah, I think they hit a lot of the same notes. Well, I do think Wally's probably a bit better. (laughs) They're both really great. I did talk about V for Vendetta on another podcast recently, which might not be out yet by the time this episode comes out. But that, too, the original comic was written um, like in the 80s. And I, I, it's the same thing. I feel like it just it just really helps your digestion of the concepts going forward. If you're just like, all right, everything got nuked except for Britain because of something that happened in the 80s. Now we can talk yeah. about other things, you know. It is kind of weird that Children of Men and V for Vendetta kind of have this whole, like, Britain is the world <laughs> thing to them. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I need to rewatch Children of Men. My problem with Children of Men was, you know, it has nothing. I don't think you like. Hmm? You don't like. You don't like those showy long takes. I'm guessing that's that's my assumption. Maybe I'm wrong. I remember I didn't like Michael Caine's character because I didn't know why he mattered, but I don't remember why. Like it's been that long, but that's not important. Anyway, back to Wally. That was my thought. Is just I'm glad that they they set air quotes the movie in 2008. What's how do we feel about the people? Because I feel like that is the big sticking point for a lot of my, viewers of Wally. My big issue, the, my biggest issue with the movie, I can tell you my absolute one part of the movie that I, I hate. Mm. In the third act, big action climax, where Wally's like crushed under it, and we cut back to the woman going, "Wally, no!" And I'm just like, 
what Eve is enough. You know what I mean? Like, like, what is the? Why do all these people care about? Like, it's not even just if, her because she yeah. at least met Wally. It's like yeah. everyone going, oh if, no, Wally. Yeah. It's like, what do you? What are you guys talking about? Yeah, None of you met this guy. He's yeah. just been the wanted poster. If anything, if anything, the that one character, John, the John, I think he was voiced by John Ratzenberger actually too. He yes. is the only human that actually interacts with Wally. So if that moment, Mary you, interacts too very briefly. I mean, very briefly. Mary has but, the moment. but he has a oh, whole yeah. ass. Oh, I mean yeah. that's true too. I mean she didn't move for him, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like you're right though. Like they didn't need that. If they, I felt like it's it would also be more impactful if it came from him, but. Whatever. <laughs> also, the thing about the humans is I don't... I, we can get into the whole thing of them, but in the third act, we keep cutting back to them for these jokes that it doesn't... I feel like the movie's nervous that it's getting too serious. So we cut back to these humans and be like, looks like we gotta have some kids! And it's like... Or maybe you guys like it personally to me. I don't dig the 2001 song quoting. It really takes me out of it now as an adult. It feels like a yeah, cheap gag feels like a cheap yeah. gag. It, um, yeah, I'd agree. It's sort of like, I already know this is inspired by 2001. I don't need you to literally tell me. I will say, as someone who recently ran a bracket at his job where the boss baby won, I do finally understand, like, people said these look like humans evolved into babies. Because as soon as, as, soon as I, I did that, I looked at Mary and I was like, oh, damn, yeah, she does look exactly like one of the babies from the boss baby. And so does John. They both look... Their design is, maybe the boss baby, obviously the boss baby came out like nine years later, but you know what I mean? Like, it, very similar, it's how the babies are designed in that movie. Mm-hmm. And it's not like the boss baby is this crazy stylistic thing. It is a DreamWorks standard animated movie. Yeah. At least in terms of character design. So to me, I'm like, I finally did get the, ba- and I've mentioned that because that's the only way to me the 2001 joke works, because it's baby's first steps. Yeah. Uh-huh. The, the, uh, yeah. But sure, sure. I don't think the movie really makes the connections to them looking like babies other than that much other than me now. Because the fact that it took till 2023 to finally get the, like, they look like babies take. That to me means I don't think the movie goes that hard on them being infantile babies. Like, they're immature, but are they infants? I don't really think so. Especially because we see actual babies in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, the thing, I agree with all of that. And what saves that for me on the rewatch is that those moments pass very quickly. And yeah. I actually am much more positive about the humans now because I think I'm picking up more on how the writers tried to make them very sympathetic. And even though there are a lot of jokes about them being bad customers to the robots, I think that John and Mary are like way more charming than I remember them being. And the captain is very interesting and it just the dialogue altogether like there's so little exposition in this film that could have so much of it and certainly the captain has exposition but it seems the captain has like the captain to me has a line in this movie that always gives me chills and it's i think one of this movie's like more minor influences because i've seen so much shit that's ripped this is i'm sure this line's existed before but this is where i feel like i first saw it and it's the I don't want to survive, I want to live oh. moment. And whenever he like says it, they yeah. just be like, Well, I know it's in 12 Years a Slave. So I'm like, Is that in the original book of 12 Years a Slave? Or did the people writing 12 Years a Slave take that? But even if it is in something, I think the way it is used here is such like a great, like, what, like it always gives me chills. It's very like impactful. To it. It's earned. Yeah. Because, <laughs> and, well, 
it does seem it the first when I type that in, it does say quote by Solomon Northrup. So okay, maybe, so maybe be, that's the original usage. I mean, very possible, but I do think it's used well here. Yeah. So and it's used well in Twelve Years of Slave too. Even though I haven't seen Twelve Years of Slave since it came out, but I remember that it's just a good line in general if you know how to deploy it and not have it feel generic. You know? Yeah, it have a lot of weight to it too, because that can that can easily be like played for you know. It's like I I don't want to survive. I want to live. It's like oh yeah, exactly. You fucking cornball. Like come on, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I feel like this movie constantly like is in. I, I say with John and Mary, it does actually go there. But I think with the captain, you feel like when you whenever you start the movie, you feel like maybe this captain stuff's gonna be in danger of like going too broad. But then you watch, it, it's like no, most of the captain stuff is like yes, he has a couple funny bits here and there, but they're like. Yeah funny star trek bits you know what i mean like they're, they're bits that would be funny in any form of sci-fi it's not like picks other than of course the 2001 joke um because even the like oh, i want to grow a pizza it's delivered so earnestly that it's not even really funny to me like, i mean it, is, it doesn't give me like a light smile but it's not like it's like yeah of course you'd want to grow pizza like if you didn't know how pizza existed mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I will say, if we're going to talk about... And although, Mark, I don't think this is what you meant when you said talk about the humans, but I do think when we talk about humans in this movie, we have to talk about Fred Willard, who I remember oh, yeah. when Rest he passed... Peace. I remember when he Rest passed away, peace. and I, I read an obit, a tweet that was so perfectly, like, obituating him. It's like, Pixar, the one man so animated that when he was in a Pixar movie, they just shot him and put him in. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty yeah. accurate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like the perfect and, Fred Willard role. I hate to be like... uh this uh, Fred Willard obviously has been in, like he's been in um those Christopher Guest movies I haven't seen that are beloved, but I do think that hundred years seven year hundred years down the road this this role will weirdly be his enduring legacy. I do I do think <laughs> that out of all the movies of his I've seen and there has only been one the one that I've seen will be the most remembered Fred Willard. No, I've seen Anchorman. I've seen Anchorman. He's really good at Anchorman, okay. and I've seen Spinal Tap, which is a type of movie and i've seen him in so much tv obviously although we're not talking tv but i've seen him in a lot of tv fred willard is such a prolific actor i feel like everyone's seen yeah. him in at least 10 projects mm-hmm. every time i see his face i always think about that sketch he did on the show i think you should leave um on oh, Netflix. I still need to watch. I uh, it's watch. so yeah. good it's the funniest show on tv in my opinion uh but it's... i see you always see the hot dog meme but go on, sorry. <laughs> but there's this whole bit where he's like at a funeral and he brings this like I'm not going to do it justice. You just have to watch it. It's really great. It's really Fred Willard. Like, but yeah, like honestly, like he, nobody else could have played the president or the C. What I think it was the CEO or something. I don't know. It's exactly. the presidency. It's President of Earth, CEO of by and large. <laughs> yeah. Um. Like I don't. I really had to think about it. I don't think there's anybody else that could have played that role. As, I really don't. Think I really so don't either. think it's so. Because like, anyone else would. The thing about Fred Willard is. He has this persona that is this weird alchemy that makes him perfect to be a live-action character in a cartoon. And very specifically, not like Bob Hoskins and Roger Rabbit, who is obviously one... To me, Bob Hoskins and Roger Rabbit, probably top 20 performance of all time. Um, But I'm not even talking about... I'm talking about how he fits right in, and I don't ever like think, like, isn't it weird that this past stuff is this, and now it's a cartoon? Uh, no, he, he completely fits in with the vibe of the movie. If anything, he is the most cartoony performance in the film. I would agree with that. Which is why it works. But he's also cartoony in a way that, like, you know, you know he's riffing a little bit off Steve Jobs. He's Now it feels like he's riffing off, like, you know, the Zuck and Elon Musk. Like, it is yeah. a timeless, like, 
CEO, big shot. In a way, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna bring it Marvel in here. I think Sam Rockwell saw this movie, and that was uh, that gave us the best part of Iron Man two. <laughs> this, he's like, I want to be Fred Willard and Wally. <laughs> yeah, just another another thing you couldn't do now. Like you couldn't have you couldn't have that character now because he's actually like lived the life of Trump. But then you couldn't like play yeah. him that way, you know? Exactly. It's like it's like when we watched when I watched the Lego movie right after the election because that used to be like of 2016 because that used to be like a comfort movie for me. But then like the Lego movie is all about like president business and it's like this is too close to call. It's too, too, not too close. Too close for comfort now. But then you watch Wally and it's like nah, this is like completely its own thing. Like there's nothing about because you're right now like even even probably when Lego movies coming out because Trump obviously has been around for forever. Usually you do see like it's outright parodying someone. In this movie, it is it's just a CEO, you know, like it's Fred Willard as a rich CEO, yeah. which works. <laughs> like <laughs> he reminds me of those ads that are like selling, um, like they or they. I don't. Sometimes it's like you're not sure if they. Richard Carn? Are you th- not Richard Carn? Um, Billy Mays. Is it Billy Mays you're thinking of? Because that's kind of the vibe I get. Well, Billy Mays it. is the vibe, but I'm thinking of commercials where they either try to sell you gold or get you to like. Oh, cash for gold. Sell them something. Yeah. Have you seen yeah, those, who's the boxer guy that's like selling gold or something? Didn't MC Hammer do a gold um, advertisement? Never I mind. He, Billy Mays is he, a better example. <laughs> uh, I know I said I wouldn't bring it up again, but just a side note, which because we're on the cast, is I we kept, I kept making the Avatar two references, and I somehow never mentioned Sigourney Weaver's in both of them, playing very weird roles in both of them. It's very weird Sigourney Weaver has this role in this movie. Not that it's like she's she's Sigourney Weaver, you know. Yeah, Who I mean, Sigourney I think she's I think she's great. It's just you don't yeah, she's really the notice it because it's like the one who's like dancing. This is a act where you fall in love. I, or I see. I, I I can hear it now. It's yeah. Now I'm... <laughs> it's actually interesting because down the road in Finding Dory, she kind of reprises the role. Oh. Because she's the voice of the aquarium in Finding Dory, like the PA announcements in Finding Dory, which is a. Uh, Fun little role for her too there. Lol. Andrew Stanton just likes her being the narrator of his life, I guess. <laughs> Did Andrew Stanton direct Finding Dory? What's his next movie yeah. besides John Carter? It's Finding Dory. <laughs> John Carter put him in director jail. Oh. John Carter was such a um, big, massive bomb. Wow. Well, Hard He's to... got a new movie in development. I'm very excited. He has a Fox Searchlight movie that apparently costs $100 million. Like, Well, actually, yes. unfortunately, Danny, it's no longer a Fox Searchlight. It's... Just, oh, you're right. It's just, just a searchlight, searchlight now. Um, but a searchlight movie that costs $100 million we're giving to him? Hell yeah! Like, <laughs> how many people get to have such a math? I guess Finding Dory made so much fucking money that it, it, it's allowed, but you know what I mean? Like, I'm kind of excited about John Carpenter now. We've talked about it so much, Carter. and I want to see the movie that puts someone in director jail after I've they never directed seen Wally. It. Well, I... you know, also, we have two director jail movies. We have John Carter and we have Tomorrowland. Those are both director movies <laughs> that put people in director jail. <laughs> Brad Bird. Am I he went to director Carter? jail. He had to make Incredibles 2 after to get out. I know, I know. Um, I have to say this about John Carter real quick. John Carter, for me personally, I told my brother that he should take his friends to go see it opening weekend. <laughs> my brother has never let me live that down, that his friends remind him whenever he brings up any movie decisions, like, yeah, but you're the one who told us to go see John Carter. And I have forever been known as, hey, your brother recommended John Carter. So, like, And I was like, I just thought it, it had a 
60% on Rotten Tomatoes. I thought you kids would like it. No. <laughs> Am I in a Cars 2-style embargo with John Carter, or could I watch it? I mean, we're actually pretty close to it. Like, at this point, I would just say don't bother, because we're pretty close to it. Uh, but, but I like watching it's up to you. I don't really twice. care if you watch John Carter, because no matter what, I'll be the person going into John Carter having not seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, my question is, will you really want to watch rewatch John Carter closer to the date? <laughs> but what I was going to say, um, gee... Because we've actually talked about this TED Talk before on this podcast, but you you were shown the Andrew Stanton TED Talk in college, right? Like I was. Yeah, I, I think I was, yeah. The funniest thing about that TED Talk, which I'm sure I'll bring up one last time when we get to John Carter, is because it was tied into marketing for John Carter. And it's like Andrew Stanton's talking about like the great decision. I, I guess I should have looked that up again to see what his scene he talked about in Wally was. But because I don't I haven't watched that in years and I can't remember. But in John Carter, he's like, this is the first scene of the movie, and we knew it had established so much stuff, and it's like, you can tell watching the scenes, like, that really didn't help me at all. Like, that's not a good scene. (laughs) (laughs) But then he shows scenes from Wally and find Nemo, and you're like, oh, what was I gonna say with this movie? I was gonna say this. Oh, real quick. I mean, there's a lot of things to talk about this movie still, obviously, but... (laughs) Real real quick, I just wanted to say the name of the next Andrew Stanton movie. It's called In the Blink of an Eye. Oh, yes. It's got um, a crazy cast. I know Rashida Jones and Kate McKinnon were cast in it. Like, it was the first two people cast in it. Dovey Diggs is in it, too. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's those three. I was like, who's the third one? Because there's, like, three, some... No, I don't. I wouldn't call any of those A-listers, really, but they're no names, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, David is going to blow up, like, in terms of popularity just this summer for being in The Little Mermaid. It's a voice. It's a voice. Uh, I mean, I know, but people are going to associate it. It just is what it is. This is how it works with, like, these big studio movies, like... You say that, but uh, pop quiz: Who did Ian McGregor play in Beauty and the Beast? Uh, he put. I only know this because I rewatched it recently. Okay, well, he, played, <laughs> he played the candle cre- character, and he had a French accent for some reason. I don't know why. All he had right, a all right, accent. all right. Well, then, um, let me let me do a different one. Let me give you give you a different one. Um, who played? I didn't know that he played the uh, candlestick. So there. Which actor who appears in Tarantino's most recent film played Princess Aurora? In both Maleficent movies, had a featured role in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> See? Oh, oh <laughs> was it the point. guy that played Charles Manson? Princess Aurora. Well, I thought you you like emphasized actor, and I thought you were gendering them. <laughs> no, that I was way. just saying. I was. I was. No, Margot. Is it Margot Robbie? Nope. Elle Fanning. Oh wait a. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing the marketing. See, that's my point. It's like these movies, they, they don't, they, I don't, I, we'll see. We'll see about the beat. I, I don't think it's going to help him that I thought, much personally, I thought the, but we'll I thought see. The, we'll wait, see. wait, Dakota was in. Is it Dakota in? Dakota Fanning is the Dakota one. In one no, that's, that's the one. Yeah, that she's in one. Oh, my time. bad. My apologies. Then, um, I guess. But if you'd said a Fanning, if you'd said Dakota Fanning, I would have accepted it too. You know, like, you that's know, fair. if no, you'd said fair. a Fanning, I would have been like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now. One of you said that I think Mark, you said this was your first time rewatching it since something else, or was it Gene? You said that. Gene, you've seen it a well, lot, haven't you? I have seen it a lot. Yeah, it was actually um, funny enough. This was my partner and I's first Pixar movie together. Um, I before then I had seen it at least eight or seven different times. It's hard to count because a lot of times there were like times where I'd have recess and they'd put this movie. They'd pick like random movies. Sometimes I'd watch Wally as a result of. It's raining outside, so everybody gather in the gym and watch a movie and whatnot. We did forget to do our usual segment on this show where we talk about where we grew up with this movie. <laughs> yeah, I saw it opening day, um, and I was so excited because I'm not going to lie, that TV trailer 
It's still one of my favorite trailers ever. It's a great trailer. <laughs> like, I didn't need to see another trailer, honestly. Like, that sold me alone. One of the best examples from my childhood of a piece of marketing, like, not treating kids like they're an idiot. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. such a good trailer. Crazy. I remember that June, too, because I think it was the weekend it July came out. was Dark Knight. Yeah, July yeah. was Dark Knight, and I believe in June, I think this came out the same weekend as... Um, Wanted? I don't know if you remember. It did. Wanted. You're right. I never saw Wanted, but it, I, I I know it came out the same weekend. Which also starred um, Chris Pratt, ironically. I was actually arguing with someone about <laughs> Chris Pratt earlier today. Not not. Well, here's my defense of Chris Pratt. That isn't really defense of Chris Pratt. Is I sent a poll to my group chat. Um, it's actually there's a punchline to this that I'm not gonna give because it's not that funny and it will bring up stuff I don't want to talk about. But <laughs> beginning, I sent three polls. And the first poll I was like, is like, okay. Because someone, okay, what, built, what brought it up was someone in my, ch- my group chat, of, there are a bunch of people who love movies. One person in my group chat, I, we were talking about The Gray Man. And if, like, someone should actually bother watching The Gray Man if they're voting on a category for worst films of last year. Because if it's nominated, should you watch it? Or should you just skip it because it's a bad movie and not bother doing your due diligence watching every now and basically, okay? And then someone's like, you know, The Gray Man is when I realized that Chris Evans really does suck. Like, he picks bad movies. And I was like, okay, here's an interesting question. Which Chris is the worst, parentheses, but you have to ignore, like, personal aspects of them. You just have to go off the roles they pick. Because in that regard... I know, <laughs> that's Mark. the best choice. No, you know that, that wasn't an option. No, nope. that was an option. Ross wasn't an option. That's the best. No, it's a <laughs> poll. Obviously, the options were Pratt, Pine, Hemsworth, Evans, because those are the four Hollywood Chris's. Because I would say that in no no way is Pratt the worst, and if you judge it that way, no way is Pratt the worst. Because Pratt has so many good roles mixed with his bad ones. <sighs> it's weird. Although Mark might say he's the worst because Mark doesn't like Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> uh, so it's Evans, Hemsworth, worse. Pratt, Pine. Because I think personally... Okay, here's the thing. I think in a way, even though I wouldn't say overall he's the worst, I do think Evans is the most disappointing. Because I think Evans post-Marvel has only been picking really like lame projects. Other than Knives Out, which was immediately post-Marvel. Every other project he's done since then has just kind of been like... You kidding me, man? Like you really couldn't find anything else to be in. <laughs> his age, his agent basically booked him the Captain America job, and he didn't have to deal with getting jobs after that. And he was but like, when he was oh, Captain America, he did Snowpiercer. But he did Snowpiercer when he was Captain America, and that I, was a good role. I know, but but you know. Well, I think um, you know. I don't know if I fully agree with all of this, but I do think that if you were if you were like the face of a gigantic. You know, I don't want to say the biggest franchise. I'm trying to like really emphasize gigantic franchise. Maybe you don't want to like work with every artsy director, you know. But and certainly not... sometimes you do, but like, but I feel like before he was doing Marvel, he was really choosing a wide variety of things. And but he's, uh, that's that's my point is he's not picking a wide variety of things now. And that's yeah, very and like, disappointing to me. You know, I would have, why not? I would have thought post Marvel he would have done some interesting stuff. And I'm not even saying artsy stuff. I'm saying like, like, all right, I'm opening up his filmography. Okay, all right, okay. I just think it's valid, <laughs> okay, Gene. As you said, like you get the nut, and then the only go thing enjoy the to nut. me that he did that's been right. interesting since Mar since Avengers is being in Lobby Hero on Broadway, which is right after he wrapped, you know, 
Endgame Infinity. Actually, I think it might have been in between Infinity War and Endgame. He did a Netflix movie where he played a, a Mossad agent. Which is like, okay. Uh, called the Red Sea Diving Resort. He did Knives Out. He did an Apple TV Plus miniseries called Defending Jacob. He has a cameo and Don't Look Up. He was in The Gray Man in Lightyear. And, and then um, he's going to be in this really bad looking... Ghosted, right? Rom-com from Apple TV Plus called Ghosted. And he's also yeah. going to be in Red One. Which is the Dwayne Johnson movie where Dwayne Johnson is an elf and J.K. Simmons is Santa Claus. Cool. And his There's... only... His art house project, Mark, is going to be directed by David Yates. That's his next art house project. Do you know who David Yates is? He's of uh, Harry Potter fame, isn't he? Well, you know, sometimes, you know, get your nut, man. Are people going to go to these films and <laughs> like, enjoy if them? If you were going to get yes. a nut, wouldn't you want to get, like, a nut? <laughs> wouldn't you at least want to go for the I, Tanya hey, director hey, if you're going to get, like, a I don't know what his mind. Hey, Danny, listen. I, I got to just be honest with you. Like, times are tough. And, uh, you know, like, for, for Chris, you know, maybe he's just picking whatever can put food on the table. A lot of Chris's in the world, apparently. <laughs> um, but even, like, okay, but here's my point. Like, Chris Pine, right? Famously kind of picks with some rough roles recently. He was in Don't Worry Darling, Wrinkle in Time. Both those movies look good on paper, though. Right? And, and one, obviously he was back in Wonder Woman 2, which yeah, very Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like I disagree. I feel like he chooses really interesting roles. And even his movie right now, which in my opinion hasn't been marketed well, and I haven't seen it yet, the Dungeons & Dragons movie, which is a new blockbuster, it's by the people who make Game Night, which was good. <laughs> like, yeah. if you're going to pick these studio guys, you should pick the good studio guys like Chris Pine is. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That, that was my whole thing. Is like, people want to go after Pratt for his roles just because they don't like Jurassic World. I actually think Pratt picks good roles for the most part. And Mario. Mario's a rough one, too. But I think Pratt has been very lucky with the roles he gets in a lot of ways. I think Pratt usually is, like, one of the better parts of projects he's in. And it gets me mad because I don't like like him as a person. It's weird because there's like there's the two parts of Chris. There's there's Parks and Recs, you know, yeah. like he did the comedy Everyday Man, the Lego Movie. I would associate with that in a lot of ways too, like that whole perspective of he's an Everyday Man. I even think man. Guardians he's, kind of goes that way. Yeah, too. Guardians. I think Guardians is that like as many many ways. And then Hollywood tried to construct him as an action superhero, basically, yeah. in all his movies, which just was not really like it's just rant it just feels like a weird change because he never really was that he was always the goofy everyday man right and he really should be doing something like how j-law's in doing um that r-rated comedy this summer chris pratt needs to do something like that um yeah I, mean, <laughs> I guess i'm not i don't i'm not really here for chris pratt like making I, good career choices but you i mean, know what I mean? <laughs> it doesn't ma- it doesn't matter because like once guardians is over he's getting locked up to do those mario movies for at least the next 10 years so He'll be, he's got a nice paycheck. He'll, yeah. he'll have a nice paycheck. Coming. Oh, he'll have a damn good paycheck. Mark, where did you first sure. encounter Wally? Wally, I have Neither no memory. Neither me or you answered that. Well, I kind of blew oh, past okay. it because I don't remember. I watched it once and then never again. I saw probably opening weekend as well. Um, Liked it at the time because big sci-fi kid here. But, you know, like all these Pixar movies, I got the DVD at Christmas. This was a very big deal, the DVD I got. Do you want to know why? I don't have it anymore. I lost it. That's why I bought the Criterion, as I said. But, because this was the first DVD that was packaged with Blu-ray. You couldn't buy the DVD by itself. You had to buy it with a Blu-ray. And I didn't have a Blu-ray player yet. I didn't get a Blu-ray player until the up. I got up on Blu-ray. And that's when I had a Blu-ray player. Um, you know, I do think this is kind of like the cutoff point, though, when I really was diving into the Pixar bonus features, though. 
because before this, you know, I have very strong memories of watching even your friend the rat, but then even definitely stronger on like cars and rat uh, and um incredible bonus features. Wally, I think maybe I watched Bernie once, like way like maybe like in 2015 2014 you know i don't know when um and then for up when we get to up i i saw one of those shorts online because i originally released it as a youtube video so i was like okay cool it's a youtube video and then i I've, I've never seen the up bonus feature short about doug i've never seen it but anyway i had that dvd it was packaged really i was actually looking for it because i was gonna put it in my i thought i had it because I, I i lost the, like i have the dvd but I lost the Blu-ray. That's why I was like, I was looking for just the packaging. But packaging was really bad. It was like a cardboard sleeve to be eco-friendly, which great, I love it. But maybe you should make something that can hold your fucking movie. Um, you know? Like, um, but then, because of that Blu-ray like case sucking, it was like Ratatouille. Again, also, Mark, you're aware of this. I did this project in 2018 where I was trying to rewatch every Pixar movie. And I got cut off at Ratatouille. And so I didn't get to Wally and up at all those. So I didn't rewatch Wally until during the pandemic, me and a bunch of my online friends, we were doing this Disney Plus movie night where we do these group watches of Disney Plus movies together and chat during them. Now during Wally, because it was my first revisit in like ten years ish, I didn't I like you know, I put my phone away. I was like, I, I will get on and talk to you guys when the movie's paused, but I'm not gonna be on here while I'm watching this because I haven't seen this in years. And the thing about that watch, and I remember going into it, I kind of, <laughs> I'm going to compare it to Avatar again, but I do think Avatar is like the big comparison point of this, is famously on my letterbox, I had a three-star review of Avatar 1 where it said, Avatar, really overrated, logged 2010. And then I rewatched it in the lead-up to Avatar 2 in the re-release, and I loved it. And I was like, ooh, that was an embarrassing take. And Wally's kind of like that too, where I kind of let the internet get to my thoughts on it, where I was like... You know, Wally's got a really great first 30 minutes, but once it leaves Earth, ooh, it's not that great anymore. And then I watch it again, and I'm like, oh, no, that's just what the internet told me when I didn't bother rewatching these movies at the time where I really solidified my opinion on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the last watch was really, really good. And then, you know, I rewatched it, obviously, for this, too, on my Criterion. Where I haven't read the, um, I was gonna say a good bet on this podcast would be if we want to make it longer, is I could just read out loud the essay and we could have a contraband copy of the Criterion essay recorded. But I don't want to do that. (laughs) Actually, do you guys want to look at the packaging though? Because obviously. Bring it back. I will, I will describe it, obviously. Do an unboxing audio. I don't need to describe the actual cover of it because you can find that online. Um, there's this side of it that has the description. Of the bonus features, but who cares about that? Again, you can find that online. It pulls out like this, and it's a steel book kind not steel book, it's made of cardboard still, of like the interior of Wally's um his, house. Kind yeah. Of thing. yeah, his, his like, home stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can see like um you can see bowling pins, you can see the famous spoon fork spork. Um, which fun fact, that's how I learned about non-binary people in college for the first time. I had been so sheltered. I never learned about before. And then Walter Metz read, made us read an essay about Wally and the non, like, you know, being non-binary and how the spork represented that, whatever, you know, classic Walter Metz, like, okay, but also a cool way to be introduced to that concept in a way. Um, I, I did not know that at all. That's, that's my first time here. That, Ooh, that's yeah. good. That's good. Yeah. But then it's also got like Wally's spare eyes. It's got the Luxo Junior um ball up in the corner. 
um, and some by and large stuff. Yeah. Then on the inside, there's the um, the essay, of course, which is labeled trash. Pl Whoa, wait, actually, what is this? Holy, holy shit! Wait, that's not an essay. What is it? Oh, okay, it has an essay, but then selections from the sketchbook, script notes, drawings, and artwork. Cause okay, so the essay's at the very beginning. It's like that. It's titled Wow. It's got credits written into, which is kind of cool. It's got this cool sketch of Wally for Boombox. No, but it's, it's labeled Trash Pine, which I guess must have been the original pitch for it. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've got to look through this later on my own time. It's kind of cool looking. Look, they've got like a notebook thing here. Oh. Um, and then this sketch on the back of Wally. But then what I was going to show you guys is um, in the interior, which the background is just, you know, the shot of the giant trash that appears like right before the Wally logo does. But then the DVDs, or rather Blu-rays and um, 4K, have the by and large logo on them like that. Oh, you can't see it. Sorry. I was like, yeah, right there you go. Yeah, I was like, mm. how am I holding it way below my camera? Um, but yeah. <laughs> but that's the packaging on the um, Wally Criterion. Great. Listeners, you'll just have to imagine. You'll just have to pick it up yourself. <laughs> you know, actually, though, it. I will say, people are mad about like the Criterion snobs, which I'll admit I'm one of them, are a little mad that it got entered into the collection. But one, if it had to be a Pixar Disney movie, it should be this one, really. And two,. This is a very affordable for Criterion thing because it's a 4K that I think costs the same as their Blu-rays, or if it costs more, it's like five dollars more. It's not like a significant markup, and it comes with the 4K and the Blu-ray. So I think to me that's a good deal. You can't buy just the Blu-ray; you have to get it as a combo pack, and it's only like five dollars more. So to me, it's like yeah, sure, like whatever. To me, this is as affordable as probably Disney's current 4K was. So like, might as well get a better packaging out of it. And everyone will um, buy it, and I would love for them to have more like really obscure animation. But it seems like. A smart thing to add i feel like in their monthly releases about... they've been like re-releasing a lot of old titles and this was an exciting semi-contemporary thing did you hear about the um petite maman criterion did i send you that i don't think you sent me anything about it so they're releasing petite maman next month which i love i don't know if you've seen petite maman on high review it's on hulu that's why i'm, I'm saying like you, no. you should watch petite maman if you haven't um it's 72 minutes I've, I I would call it my favorite Celine Scalma movie, but that would imply I've seen more than Petite Maman and Portrait of a on Fire, which I haven't. But it's really great. It's it's a. It's, I'm gonna pick up the criteria, but the reason I bring this up, it is related. It's because they announced recently on Twitter that that Criterion will include air quotes as a bonus feature, My Life as a Zucchini, the Celine Scalma, which she co-directed, I think. So I guess I've seen three Celine Scalma movies, but she co-wrote that too. It will include the entire thing as a bonus feature. And I'm kind of like, you know, My Life as a Zucchini probably should be, like, the title movie if Petite Maman is the bonus feature. Because, well, it's older. That's always my opinion. It's like, if the movie is older... Oh, she she, uh, she only co-wrote the script of My Life as a Zucchini. But also, my, if you haven't seen My Life, that's another really good movie. What is that? Um, very... Um, it's a stop-motion movie. Uh. Stop -mo that's why I brought... It's an animated movie that's entering the Criterion Collection. I was like... Um, it's based off an autobiography about kids in a foster home gotcha. who like are recovering from abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's very, very good. Very emotional. It's only 65 minutes. So it's shorter than Petit Maman, which I believe is like 72 minutes, but both really nice, solid short movies. Mm -hmm. Definitely got to pick up that criteria and it's out. I'm very excited for it because I would love to have both of those on Blu-ray. But anyway. The big thing that I have watched between my 2020 watch of this movie and today's watch of this movie is last summer, 
at the Music Box Theater at their 70mm film festival, they had a one-off showing of Hello, Dolly. Which, I don't know if Mark has... Mark told me he might watch it today. I don't know if he actually did. I tried did to you? start a bit of it, but I didn't get very far before we had to come on. Well, first off, even... Also since 2020, because I saw it post-pandemic. Oh, wait, no. No, I saw a pre-pandemic. I saw a stage show of this in, like, I think 2019 of Hello, Dolly. But I think it's very important to see the movie of Hello, Dolly. Because, not important. Obviously, this movie... It's kind of like that joke I made about Fred Willard, but it's true. This movie will be Hello, Dolly's legacy. Probably even as a total property. Even as someone who likes this stage show, I do think this movie kind of is... What Hello Dolly? This movie will be remembered longer than Hello Dolly will be remembered, even as a stage show, in my opinion. Mark says, "Give me a face." I says, "I think the stage show will last a long time." I think it will last a long time. I think Wally will outlast. I I feel like there's going to be a lot of people that were introduced to Hello Dolly through Wally. Yeah, but I would say that what I think is so fascinating about, and maybe I should have a quote from it because I know Andrew Stanton's been asked about it multiple times, like, "Why Hello Dolly?" Like. What the, like, because it is a big, like, what? Like, it's the weirdest, in a way, like, on paper, this movie has a lot of, like, weird, big swings. I think the Hello, Dolly stuff is by far, like, the biggest, like, what? Hello, Dolly's role, having seen Hello, Dolly, it's, it's a, it's a bad movie. And I like the state show. It is not a good movie, in my opinion. And it is famously the movie that killed movie musicals. Like, because it was such a big bomb at the box office. But... I think in a lot of ways, it's really, it, it ties into the themes well, and I don't think the Stanton said this. I think Wally lasts 700 years on his, 600 years really on his own, being a trash robot that no one thinks about. The idea that the one piece of art, because it really is the only art, like even like counting like paintings, drawings, stuff like that, sure. it is the one piece of art we see that survives all this time is this shitty musical. That puts the entire plot of this movie into motion. And this, there's a, I've seen Hello Dolly, both the movie and on stage. And I think I only get a chill when I I get a chill, I got a chill both times I saw it. I have a version when it only takes a moment began, but it's not because of the song in the the show. Because the song in the show and in the movie is not actually sincere. It's a bit of a joke thing. It's like, the whole joke is like, well, people say it takes a while to fall in love, doesn't it? How about, does it take an hour? No. Does it take a minute? No. Does it take a second? Not even that. It only takes a moment. That's how it kind of gets, like, it's a joke. But, like, you get chills watching Ellen Dolly having seen Wally. Because Wally gives so much meaning to that song and put on the your Sunday clothes. And I think it's so, I think this is, and this is probably why that professor we we mentioned earlier in this episode loves Wally so much in a way because his big thing was talking about how movies interact with other movies, and I think Wally and how it interacts with Hello Dolly elevates both movies to even higher heights. More so Hello Dolly because Hello Dolly is not a good movie, but yeah, I think mm-hmm. talking about how Hello Dolly and just also the idea of a robot watching a musical, not even that, but like the idea of like this big musical element being what he finds like what is romance. He learns it from this shitty whole musical. I think it's really, I think it's beautiful in a lot of ways. Like the idea that bad, not that, I was gonna say bad art lasts, which means in that regard, Hello Dolly will. No, I'm kidding. I like Hello Dolly. I like the stage show Hello Dolly, but I don't know. I just think it's a whole interesting aspect to the film, even if you haven't seen Hello Dolly. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Cause yeah, that's the only real media you see. 
And that's why he's so broken up when Eve starts destroying his VHS and everything. And he's like, wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to lose that. <laughs> he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I only have one of those. <laughs> I can't go to B... What was it? B and, by and large? I can't go to B&O and get a new copy. <laughs> B&O is just a giant warehouse of VHSs. That would believe the movie in 2008. <laughs> a giant wall of VHSs. There's just a giant <laughs> wall of... <laughs> just goes, whenever he breaks it inadvertently, he's like, oh, just gotta go to the beauty <laughs> and grab a new copy. Mm-hmm. Speaking of um, music in the movie, I noticed that it was Thomas Newman once again, but unlike in Finding Nemo, I think that I, I noticed the score less, but that doesn't mean it wasn't effective. I just wasn't picking it out like I was in Scenes in Finding Nemo. I did have fun this time catching every time that they quoted the hello dolly music i think i think this score is very i'm not i'm just gonna say it even though i think finding nemo is a better score this is the type of score that should like sweep every awards at the end of the year because this movie is just robot noises and the score for a solid half of it (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the score does so much heavy lifting on the emotions it's it's really thomas newman's score there's the sound work by Ben Bird and Alyssa Knight, and there's of course the real the real star here, like if every Pixar movie, the animation, which cannot be understated how good it is. But I think it is really all three of those working in tandem. And even though this doesn't really have recognizable themes like Nemo does, there's still like there's still a love theme. You just aren't you won't be able to hum it because that's just not Tom and Newman's style. Um, and I do think the music of this movie does so much to make it beautiful. Especially in the first 30 minutes and the dancing sequence. Like the defined dancing sequence. Because that is the signature track from this movie is defined dancing. But I do think it's it's a it's a good it's a really great score, even if you don't and I'd say that not noticing it is part of why it's great. Because it's it's kinda yeah, like yeah. people who say Sure. And maybe you guys disagree with me on this, but people I know a lot of people who say Dunkirk was one of Hans Zimmer's greatest works recently besides you know, you know, just outside of like Interstellar, but you know, like but to me, I've never been able to single out the Dunkirk score. Same with Tenet with Ludwig Gorsen. People are like, Ludwig Gorsen's work on Tenet was so great. I'm like, I can't single that out. Because the way Nolan uses score now is just so integrated with his sound design in general. That it's just, sure. it's like, if the whole movie sounds good, then I'm just like, yeah, sure, the score. And I think that's how Thomas Newman's score is used here. Mm-hmm. It's very prevalent, but you're not going to be able to really... Because it's just part of the whole story. Which is really what a good score should be aiming. Yeah. Slumdog Millionaire won everything this year. No. <laughs> If you're curious. Yeah, Yeah, I checked, and as soon as I saw that, I was like, well, okay. Because I also think the Peter Gabriel song is really great. Yeah. Oh my god, it's so beautiful. You you can't turn off the... Like, like, I I was saying this last week, because, fun fact, Jeannie, you might not be aware of, the director of the short film Your Friend the Rat directed the credit sequence of this, which I said last week is probably one of the greatest credit sequences of all time. Yeah. Which, having me watch the movie... Stick by that. It is one of the great, like, but it's not, even once that sequence is over, you still leave the movie playing until the, the Peter Gabriel song is done. I can't turn it off before that Peter Gabriel song is done. It's such a good song. And it really is a perfect come down from like what you just watched. Yeah. Especially that emotion, that all that emotion yeah. that they give you in the last few minutes of the film. I, I would agree with both of you on the, the score just being so effective. Like Danny, like you're saying, you don't really notice it until like the real key moments of like the emotion you're like oh my god they are bringing the score is bringing a lot of emotion and brevity to 
basically robots that are trying to figure out what the heck is romance, if you will, during most of this whole movie. God, I just, I still can't get over, like, uh, Wally's little, like, recorder, like, his playback recorder thing on his, I guess, that, would that be his chest tech, <laughs> or whatever that, that, that. Oh, you mean, is. like, the diegetic sound? Diegetic, that's a diegetic sound, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, just, like, those little bits and pieces, it just. There's, oh. this movie, it's so good at quietly setting up Chekhov's guns that you don't sure. like they're just such a part of the movie that you don't even realize it because you realize i mean obviously the playback is there so that way you can get the hello dolly throughout the movie mm-hmm. but what it's really there for is for the final gut punch of the re- the recording being erased at the end that's what it's really there for is to punch you in the gut at the end yeah much like the other thing i noticed this time that i never noticed before in this movie is that wally plays with a fire extinguisher on earth which is you know so important that's later right. on in the movie Mm-hmm. When he uses it to get out of the ship, which is like so smart, and it's just very economic storytelling. In a way, in a way, calling it economic storytelling to me is like being so cold to it too, because it's just it's brilliant. Like it is brilliant, and I know like on this podcast all the time, I'll be like, "This Pixar movie is brilliant," but I do think Wally stands out as, of course, you know, we've been saying like, "Yes, the people who say the first thirty minutes of the best part, the best part are kind of right," but. That doesn't mean the rest of the movie isn't also like yeah. it's like if those first thirty minutes are like a hundred percent, the remaining is like ninety six, ninety seven percent great. You know, <laughs> like like you know, like that's the grade you'd give it. For me, at least, like Pixar is basically since really since Wally and Up, they've really tried to chase that high of creating like those really emotional impact, whether it's in the beginning or the end. You know, I've seen it countless times in, like, both Toy Story 3 and 4, and, hell, I even saw in Lightyear last year, technically. Like, they, they flash out <laughs> just rip off up. <laughs> uh, but, no, yeah. Like, the funny thing is, is that that, that we, we'll do an entire episode in Lightyear. But and, the thing and, that's so funny and, about that se- sequence is, no, no. I mean, that's so funny about that sequence in Lightyear, because I will address it, because obviously you're not going to come on for a Lightyear episode. Unless you really want to, which I doubt. Uh, no, I feel like I'll be the one person who... I didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> well, I was going to say, that sequence is like simultaneously the only sequence that really works in the movie, and also the biggest sequence where I'm like, why the fuck they think this was a good idea for a Buzz Lightyear movie to have this? <laughs> like, it does feel jarring, because you're like, yeah. I'm crying, but... But it's still like the best sequence of the movie. It's like, why did... But, sorry, yeah. I, I would agree like with your take on Wally in that, like, yes, while the first 30 minutes should be, you know, absolutely praised for first of all just for a major studio to have the guts to put this out with it's not an existing i mean obviously it's made by pixar and disney so it wasn't like it has it had a safe landing if you will if it quote unquote failed but it's it's a brand new ip it's mostly like hard sci-fi and everything and the fact that they had the courage to put this out there and make it with all the war like, because this movie is all about, like, melding, like, it's like this Japanese art thing. They build broken bowls with class and everything, and the imperfections are what makes it beautiful, which mm-hmm. is what sums up this movie pretty pretty damn well. Because, like, obviously you have Eve, this perfect robot creature, and or creature, <laughs> perfect robot, and you have Wally, the worn robot and just i'm doing this i feel like i'm doing just 
this movie like a disservice by using all these simple <laughs> terms. But um, well, it's why it's good though. In a way, yeah. it's like it's, it's, you can you can sum this movie up so simply, but it's so it's beautifully s- perfect in how yeah. it expresses itself. I also didn't even like. I know I mentioned earlier that it's an hour and thirty six. When I rewatched it, I was like, I didn't even realize it was that short. I thought it was like two hours. It feels so epic. It feels so epic. It's something you said cued this memory in me, which is, and it's not, it's not really related to Wally, but it is related to what you were saying about Wally. Cause it happened, I think around the time Up came out, maybe Toy Story 3, but I think it was Up. Um, I went to an open house, um, which apparently is a Midwest thing because I've said this before on this podcast and so, or maybe an Indiana thing because I've said this before on this podcast and people have been like, what, what are you, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so, uh, an open house is like a graduation party for a high schooler in Indiana, I guess. I don't know. If that's like a thing other people call it. I've but heard it I went used to o- for other things, but go ahead. Well, I went to an open house of someone who was at my church. Um, and this was like 2009. So I was like, probably 13 because it was you know beginning of the summer i have a july birthday and i remember up had just come out i think we might have literally been coming either going to up right after the open house or just came from up like the day before and we were talking to the guy who's kind of kind of like me obviously way older than me if i'm 14 this was when he was graduating high school sorry 13 sorry i was 13 he's graduating high school Hold on, I can do this math really quickly. He was He's six years older than me. So not that much older than me now, but now that when you're a kid, that's such a big difference, you know? But anyway, I remember saying we're going to go see Up, and my dad and him got in a conversation about Pixar, because he's kind of, you know, like me, kind of a movie geek. And even back then, the conversation was about like, yo, Up is crazy. This is a movie about an 80-year-old man, and it's for kids, and it's like, why would kids want to watch this? And I remember, I remember at the time, this guy who was in high school making the points, like, what Pixar has now is they're not a franchise or like, they're not like Pirates of the Caribbean or Spider-Man, but what they are is a brand. They are something that people will go see because it's a new Pixar movie, that it does not matter if the, the, the lead is a talking robot or a rat that wants to cook or, sorry, no, sorry, a silent robot or a rat that wants to cook or a 90 year old man. People will go see this movie because they know that it's the new Pixar movie. Mm-hmm. Which, in a way, is even though Toy Story Three is good, Toy Story Three and Cars Two back to back remove the idea of Pixar being a brand of itself, where the franchise is that it's original. Yeah. Right, and we're only now getting to the point where like stuff like Inside Out and Coco are that Pixar air quotes brand because they're the Pixar original, which makes them specialer than the Pixar sequels in a way. Which is why when they come back with Lightyear, that's such a misunderstanding. I mean, we don't need to get all this really, but you know. I, I've had the take since Lightyear bought in the box. I was like, well, really, in retrospect, they should have come back with Turning Red. Not just because Turning Red's a better movie, but because yeah. Turning Red is a Pixar original, which is its own uh, a brand that's stronger than Toy Story spinoff. And that's what Bob Jacob didn't understand. And obvious, also, honestly, in a way, Bob Iger didn't understand, because Bob Iger was also pushing the sequels. And since coming back, has already said, we're doing Toy Story 5. People, yeah. they don't understand that a Pixar original is a better... If it's a like good-looking Pixar original... That's going to probably do better with the zeitgeist and with money. Because Inside Out was huge for Pixar, the first Inside Out. Coco was huge worldwide. In the U.S. it didn't do well because of racism, really. I mean, it did did fine. It didn't do great. It did pretty well, though, to be fair. I mean, it didn't do, like... It didn't explode. It It didn't do, like, like It hit expectations, but it exploded worldwide. Like, that movie is huge. Like, I think it's Pixar's biggest non-sequel worldwide, I'm pretty sure. And it... My favorite story about Coco, which I'm sure I'll drop it in the Coke episode too, is that China has a ban on movies about the afterlife, 
but the censors saw Coco and were so emotionally moved by it that they're like, well, we'll wait for this one. And then it made like, China was one of the biggest markets for Coco. Like it did so well there. Like it, it is an outlier of Pixar movies there. It did insanely big there. And not just because it was, you know, ooh, let's go see the taboo movie. It's because, you know, it's a great movie. And people saw yeah. it and were emotionally moved by it. Mm-hmm. Eve is good. We didn't really talk about her. She's good. Eve is good. She's great. Like yeah. No, I thought she was great. Especially the, like you said, that moment where she's watching those memories and everything. And then the directive. Like, she can choose the directive. I think one thing to say about Eve, and saying this as, saying this as a dude, I, I, I probably doesn't mean much coming from me. But for all the talk, you know, people, you know, when Finding Dory came out, were like, this is Pixar's first ever film led by a woman character that is not a princess. Which is true, of course, the movie's titled Wally, but I forget how much agency Eve gets on her own whenever I watch rewatch this. And then I watch it and I'm like, she's not the cult like obviously the movie's Wally, because we spend like twenty minutes with Wally before Eve even shows up. But once Eve shows up and she wakes up on the axiom, I think she and Wally do kind of evenly share the film. Which yeah. granted is about halfway for the movie, but still she has so much to herself and she has in a way, and more compl- and she has the she has the arc here. Wally yeah. really doesn't have the arc here. Wally always cares about other people. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Wally's but Eve is a person who the robot who learns from Wally. Wally doesn't learn anything from Eve. Everyone else learns from Wally, which makes it. I think that's what makes Wally such an interesting character too. Wally's like Wally is like a Superman character. I, I said earlier Jesus character, but he's like you know like an ideal Superman story. It's about other people learning from Superman, right? Or, like, an ideal... Really, what I've seen about Wally, and this is true about both of those movies, is Wally reminds me of Paddington. Because Paddington, Paddington doesn't need an art. Paddington, Paddington doesn't need Paddington one. Either of them. Because I, I don't think Paddington don't ever really needs to learn anything in those movies. Well, who People learn are people around him. Yeah. From him. And that's what Wally is. But So, in that case, Eve is the actual, like, character that we see grow here. And to me, I said, this time I cried... I felt like crying when she was looking over those tapes of Wally. Because I was like, this is such a beautifully done epiphany moment. Because every Pixar movie has that epiphany scene. Some of them have done better than others. This is definitely one of the better ones. Ratatouille was one of the worst ones we talked about that in our Ratatouille episode. But <laughs> even though we like Ratatouille otherwise, the epiphany scene is kind of rough. But yeah. Because Wally doesn't have an epiphany scene. It's, it's, it's That's actually one of the... Because I, I cried three times. I was going to ask. I forgot first, to ask. I haven't cried... I mean, I've cried during... I hate that. Like, I'm more empathetic now. So I can't watch Pixar movies without crying. Like, God <laughs> damn it. Stop. <laughs> the water would come out every time. And watching Wally, like... I knew I was probably going to cry at the end. And, like, when he's trying to lift the... Yeah. The one green thing. But when... Yeah, when you... When Eve looks at all those memories and everything, God, bro, I just paused the movie. Like, damn it! <laughs> it's because oh. I, I said this earlier, but there are so many moments in this movie where it reminds you there are robots and they just don't have concepts of basic human things that we have. Yeah. And seeing that moment, where like it's animated well and the sound on it's well too, even though I think it's pretty silent for the most part. Where you can just tell Eve is. There's so many moments of this movie where you can just infer what they're saying or thinking, and that's one where it's like realizing why does this guy care like why does this person care about me beyond my directive and it's the beautiful realization that love exists <laughs> like you know just in general like love is something that can happen mm-hmm. yeah obviously my life has changed quite a bit since i first saw it when i was a little kid and now experiencing romance in many ways like there's just like 
there's also like just as you get older in general you know there's so much appreciation and value you find in wally that you didn't find the first time which i like how you said mark like the first time you saw it you're like eh, it was all right and then you watched it and you're like god this is awesome and everything because yeah i feel like as a kid i liked it but i didn't love it i didn't really love it like the way i do now until i got like closer to high school because you know especially compared to some of the like not not to say monsters university is a bad movie um but like there is like a period of time where pixar was like all right um <laughs> they put out some mid stuff they, 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 we'll, get, we'll get to it yeah. we'll get to some mid yeah. stuff so um, but yeah and um, planes which isn't exactly we have to watch it <laughs> real i can't wait to listen to that episode <laughs> So what am I, f- I, I, there's a, I have, there's a hilarious movie review I love to watch whenever I'm in a really bad mood and they talk about planes and just how much they despise that dust. Crawler. I've never seen the planes movies and I'm not going to watch, I'm not going to, I'm not going to mark, Despoil. you're not embargoed on planes cause I'm not going to watch it till we see it, but I think you're okay with not watching it till we come. I have it. no desire to watch planes. I thought John Carter had like neat monsters in it or something. <laughs> I feel like John Carter. I've heard so much like reevaluation and talk about how it's air quotes actually good that I'm curious because I feel like there probably are good aspects and probably some bad aspects. We've all seen. Whereas we, Planes we just saw looks that bad. scene that Andrew Stanton showed. I don't really believe it'll be good, but you know. I think it might have good stuff in it. I think. I think I'll. My own thing about it is I'm pretty sure I'll like it more than Tomorrowland because I've seen Tomorrowland and Tomorrowland is mm. not good. But anyway, in any yeah. I cried every time, like I it's, <laughs> I cried every time that there was some kind of like moment they won anything. It it was surprising. I did. I don't think I've cried as much at any Pixar movie that we've watched so far. This is the the part where I admit that I actually did not cry on this watch, but it's because I watched I watched this. So oh, late at night good for night. you, Danny. A big strong I, man. You don't need to I, cry, do but you? I I I did say like the closest I got was the Eve scene. That was the moment where I was like hit so hard watching this and then of course obviously i think you have to be like one of those at like i was about to say one of those assholes but i'm gonna quote my i i said i gave my this is my aunt's take on my attitude i'm gonna say it again but you have to be have like this level of take on wally to have not cry that scene is my aunt's take on that too was she could not she wanted to leave the theater like within the last 30 minutes because there were too many rats in the kitchen just like a fundamental refusing to engage with a premise. I feel like that is the only way you could not cry at the end of this movie and be like, you, you cannot get to the end of this movie having watched everything up to that point and just be like, they're just robots. They're just cartoon robots. Like, I, I can't fathom that. Mm-hmm. No, they, there's too much emotional stake at that point. Like, if you don't see that, then you're just a heartless human being and I wish you a better life. <laughs> <laughs> I only mentioned the credits offhand. We could talk about like the cool evolution of those credits because I do think the credits are, as I said last week, it's Wally and Twenty Two Jump Street are like the two best credit sequences in modern cinema. <laughs> like Luca's pretty good too. Oh yeah, Luca isn't a well. Luca, Luca and Coco both kind of exist in that plane where I'm crying from the ending of the movie that I'm glad the credits are there for me to like exist for a bit before I can like leave and turn it off. I totally forgot about those credits <laughs> honestly <laughs> like i rewatching it i was like oh my god they had a whole whole ass like you don't even need a sequel if if they ever wanted to because it's in the credits quite frankly <laughs> you know the thing that's wonderful about those credits to me is one obviously they have such it has such a clear idea behind it right it's like the evolution of art that's showing the future of humanity from where this movie ends such a well-executed idea 
ends beautifully with the reveal that the birds have somehow come back. There's there's so many shots in that credits that get me emotional weirdly. That was the other part too that was giving me almost cry was the credits because one well, the song is great. I already said the song is great, but there's like the moment where it's showing the uh, the robot helping them fish, and that was where like you know my whole takeaway this time I already said was like the idea that humanity has created something that can save us but we haven't actually realized it because that is what how the because all the robots save us in this movie other than Otto, but the thing is is like. There's that shot, because I feel like you you see so many things where, like, robots fuck over humanity. Robots, like, don't help out. And the fact that it just shows the simple activity of, like, learning how to fish again with this rope. Like, because I think, if I remember, it's, like, the hairdresser robot not following its directive, helping them fish. And I'm like, this is just, <laughs> I find this really beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> mm. It's free will, baby. No, it's beautiful. But the only the only issue with the credits is that they're too good. And by that I mean I never read the names. <laughs> like, oh, wow. I, I can't read the names during these credits. <laughs> <laughs> That's also why Presto was such a good pairing, is because those credits are so visually overwhelming I had to go back and rewatch those too. Did you rewatch the Wally credits? No, because I was pressed for time. But I did I mean I did watch them all. And the post credit scene were he fixes the Luxo Jr. lamp. Oh, I that's did. right. It was, yeah. and he gives him a fluorescent bulb, which yeah. I thought was I also like nice. the 8-bit bit moment. Oh, speaking of the bulb, I love the little, it's just a bit, but I love how the when Eve touches the light bulb, and I'm always just like, mm-hmm. like, there's so many, uh, we could, I could literally be here talking about like the first 30 minutes of this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just like, this moment happened, this moment, it's, I was talking about this movie at work, okay? And there's never been a Pixar movie like Wally that was so perfectly titled for sequels. Let me tell you how. Wally 2. W A Roman numeral 2 E. Wally 3. Wall 3. Wally 4. Wally, but you replace the A with a 4 that looks like an A. Wally 5. You make the V <laughs> the, the first part of Wally look like a Roman normal V. And that's the part where I was like, alright, alright, I gotta stop there. Because obviously the fourth one is the, the actual best answer. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, yeah. So do we have any any last final thoughts on Pixar? Alright, and how the movie uh, mo- oh. movie how the movie relates to Pixar, how we feel about the studio. Uh, I think, you know, as I said earlier, it kind of transcends what a Pixar movie is as someone who's Pixar's biggest fan. Um, and the moments where it reminds you it's a Pixar movie are by far the worst moments of the movie. But that said, not even just Pixar, I think this movie is a it's a game changer that was never really followed up for American animation. That something could be this radically different and yet so clearly inspired by other things to because before Wally, there was no movie like Wally, and there hasn't been a movie like Wally since Wally. And in a way, it makes me sad Pixar can't do it again, but in every way, that makes this like one of their crowning jewels, if not the crowning jewel of the studio. Here's my thing about Wally. Like I said, my, my top three in particular when it comes to Pixar, no specific order is Coco, Toy Story 2, and Wally. And a lot of it is because I don't know how much of a struggle it was on Coco's set, but I feel like Toy Story 2 and Wally in particular, those movies, I know they had so much trouble in production. Like Toy Story 2, they nearly lost the movie. And it sounded like Wally, it took such a long time mm-hmm. to be like, how do we get this garbage robot movie to the masses in a way that will satisfy everybody? And it's weird because it's like the movie's clearly cynical, but it's 
so brilliantly optimistic in its character and i you're you're right danny in a lot of ways like it's kind of sad that they haven't been able to duplicate this but also i think it makes it stronger as a movie because they haven't been able to duplicate it because it's hard to do it, lightning doesn't strike twice I don't care what Hollywood thinks. It doesn't. And this is one of those... Well, what Wally thinks when he gets struck twice yeah, by lightning. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized that. Um, but no, you no, absolutely. Like, it's it's one of its crowning achievements. And, like, I'm kind of glad that it's the only Pixar movie that is the criterion for it. Because it deserves it. Yeah, and I mean, it's like we talked about with Ratatouille. It's Well, for me with Ratatouille, Ratatouille is kind of outside of the Pixar ranking. It's like Wally is, like you said, Gene, it's like the crowning achievement of Pixar. It is hard to imagine they could come close to this again for a number of reasons, which is fine. It's just, you know, any group of artists is going to have a big one. But then, like we talked about, it seems like Pixar kind of abandoned their brand name. This was an interesting take you had, Danny. They abandoned their brand name to capitalize on the IPs. And it's kind of nice seeing Wally and maybe to a lesser extent Up taking advantage of the Pixar brand rather than known characters. Because I think around Wally or maybe Up is when I personally get off the Pixar train. So we're getting there. Yeah. Well, yeah, after that is the two sequels. That kicks off the. Although Toy Story is Toy Story three is good, you know, but like you know, it's sequels. Yeah, but definitely the yeah. perception of Toy Story three as being a sequel is part of why I started paying less attention to Pixar. So we like a lot of film reviewers like to give movies things. A lot of film reviewers give a film a review, like a star count or something like that. We like to give the film like a present, like a. It could be a physical object. It could be a performance. It could be an event or an activity or just however the spirit moves you gene and i know this is a weird thing to ask so me and danny one of us like to lead it off with something sure. and we encourage you to go very far out there but today i am i'm not going to go too far out there i'm just going to say i would love to have like wide release of wally let's get let's have some director q a's i know it had the criterion release i would love to like watch this in a theater it is a big birthday for it this year which one it is a big birthday it's i think it's the 15th right 15th yeah yeah, 15th. yeah it's a big yeah. birthday yeah so maybe this is a gift to me but i would love to watch this in a theater again no it's really a bummer that during um, although i know you were sheltering and not like me where i was like going back to the movies pretty quickly with a mask in hand um but when they were doing all their disney re-releases in fall 2020 it's really a shame they didn't do wally or ratatouille Right. Like they really, the, or, or up, they didn't do any of those, you know, like what I, I think we, we mentioned in our two episodes, all threes are all kind of lumped together as like Pixar's great original run, because all three of them are such crazy ideas on paper that are all executed. We'll see about up, because we haven't covered up yet, but at least Ratatouille and Wally are executed as well as they can be pretty much, um, to like almost transcendent levels. Anyway. It's a bummer they didn't show any of those three during that time. They only showed, like, Monsters, Inc. Mm -hmm. Triangle else I saw the Pixar ones. I think Monsters, Inc. was really the only one. And Coco. And Coco. Which was nice. I did see Coco again. But... Mm -hmm. I gave. I once gave a film, like, A Rock on an episode, Gene. <laughs> if that gets your brain uh, going. I mean, like, for me, like, I, I want to give this movie a hug more than anything. Just, mm -hmm. like, a big bear hug. Like, a solid bear hug. I want to know it's okay. Like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, just, like... Because, like, I know, like, it's supposed to be optimistic in a cynical world, but, like, 
Wally is so cute for being a little trash monster. Like, I just, like, for real, I, that's what I would give this movie, of reassurance to know that you're, you made a very valid and artful film, and I appreciate it. This is weirdly, like, to me, this is one of the hardest things. Because to me, like, and Mark, Mark knows, we, I, I can usually, like, rattle off something to give pretty quickly, but what do you give something that's given so much? And not in the sense that's like Toy Story, where Toy Story obviously is giving me so much childhood memories, so many great moments, moments where I cry, like Toy Story 2 specifically. I'm just using Toy Story as a franchise. But a movie like Wally is a movie that continues to give me new things whenever I revisit it, which is something really nothing else here has. Even Ratatouille, which I said I really adored and hadn't revisited in so long. Wally is a movie I watched two years ago and I watched this time and had a completely different but still incredibly positive takeaway on. In a way, the thing about Wally is that I, I, I would rather, I, I know I can't ask for it to give me something, but I would like to go my day every morning feeling like how I do after I finish Wally. At least start my day how I feel at the end of Wally, where I both feel kind of bittersweet, but very relieved and just kind of hopeful. Um, in a way, I, I maybe, am I allowed to just say what someone else said? Because really, what I think Wally does, and Mark, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to exactly say it, but I'm you're going right, to go off that to. same vein. But I, I think, as someone who works with kids, and as someone who you know has said on this podcast before about the recent Pixar run where these movies aren't getting theatrical runs, and Gene, you know this from being by me in person during this at points. I think it's a real damn shame that a movie like Wally can't come out today in theaters and like be a movie that kids really have strong memories with um and a movie i would compare it to even though i think wally's a much better film than it is soul the fact that kids today don't have a memory of seeing soul in a theater and like that being like a movie they're like yeah i like that and coming back to it years down the road and being like holy shit about you know sure um in a way i would just like in Oh, my bracket I did at my job, Wally, I think, made it past the first round. So kids are still watching Wally, and kids are still liking Wally. Mm-hmm. But I think, because, like, what do you give a movie that has, like, what do you give the only Disney movie on Criterion, right? <laughs> like, this movie both gave a lot and already has a lot. It has a legacy cemented. It doesn't have a Best Picture mom, but it's the reason we have more Best Picture nominees now. That's how damn great it is. And that's, like, I, I, I would like to give it the leg I, I would like to give it a re-release too but i would like to give it i would like to give it a nationwide screening that everyone is invited to come see for free mm-hmm. i would like to have that be allowed i would like for t- i would like to sorry Mark, i don't I'm not trying to one-up you, you, yeah, know, it you probably you sounds like I, you just you just like gave a bigger gift <laughs> but it's like i would like for this to be like me go to um I, i'm forgetting that millennium park and they get a big ass IMAX screen showing, and it's like anyone in Chicago is welcome to come to watch this movie with a 4K projector and somehow an IMAX sound system set up in the park. That's what this, that's the, I have to give it something big, because what else could I give this to like cement its legacy for more, because the legacy's already been cemented for our generation and older generations for this movie. We need to, like, let's give it to the next one in a way that they'll never forget. Because that's what this movie deserves. Sorry, Mark. I, I did one up for you, but I related to my job. No, it's, it's <laughs> fair. It's fair. <laughs> well, Gene, thank you so much for coming on. Zahoo. Yeah. It was awesome to have you on. Mm. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me on. Uh, Danny, I 
I know you've known I've been wanting to be on one of your podcasts for a while, and I'm very thankful that um, you and Mark would allow me to be here today to guest on one of my favorite movies ever. And I just, I'm just glad we got to talk about Wally, guys. Like, I, I really appreciate all this. Like, thank you. So we're closing up. Do you want me to? Yeah, plug my, yourself. Uh, plug myself. Okay. Yeah, um, plug yourself. Okay, for sure. Um, if you want to follow me on like Instagram or something, you can follow me on Instagram at Herb Jones, spelled J O N Z E. What I really want to plug is uh, my partner's uh, shop, if that's okay. Um, yeah, yeah, that's totally. Fine. Yeah, my my partner has an Etsy. She makes handcrafted earrings and jewelry, and her Instagram um, is uh, ATGZ handmade and then the etsy is called atgz handmade and danny if you want i can like give you a link yeah you yes, should please we'll yeah, put that yeah. in our episode description yeah yes. um but yeah um it would um obviously nobody has to buy anything if they don't want to but we would really i would really appreciate it um if you just if you listen to this chance. podcast no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I will say if you don't you support, us. <laughs> I'm not trying to guilt trip no one, but uh, my my partner's queer, so you're saying like yeah. I don't want to buy queer person stuff. Like, obviously, if if uh, anybody who listens to this podcast uh, wants to hit me up, feel free to hit me up on Instagram. I don't know how. Don't many... go to that Thai restaurant by the hotel. I was at in L.A. I didn't like. No, oh, I know <laughs> you were, you ordered soup and you thought you were getting like a big entree, and I was like, oh. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Yes. Well, now how, how, do, how do we end this? Well, I now guess. we're gonna do is <laughs> wait, 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 I'm wait. just gonna ask Danny. Do you want to tell us what we're doing next time? Well, we go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows because right after Wally, the next Pixar thing was airing on Disney Channel and also in theaters with Bolt, which is that Pixar in the late 2000s, early 2010s put out a ton of fucking Mater shorts. <laughs> Oh. Uh, we will not be doing every mater. We're not. We're we're gonna split these up. The way I've split up our mater shorts are we're doing the entire year's release in an episode. So we'll do the 2008 ones next time. That's four short films about mater tall tales. There's a lot more where they came from, but we're gonna do the first four next time. Looking for the Ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. Our original artwork was done by Sarah Knopf, and each episode is edited by me. If you'd like to be notified about new episodes, you can find us on Facebook at Looking for the Ocean of Pixar Journey, on Twitter at Pixar Journey, on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and on our website, lookingfortheoceanpixar.podbean.com. If you want to know what I'm up to or find me on social media, you can head over to markyoungperformer.com. If you'd like to see all my takes on all the movies, you can find me on Letterboxd at Blankman's. If you'd like to hear me on another podcast, I also have The Snub Club, a podcast about film history. We'll see you next time. See you next time.